Chapter fifty one of the D'Artagnan Romances, Volume three, Part one by Alexandre Dumas, translated by William Robson. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. A Passion. The day of his arrival, on returning from the Palais Royal, Athos, as we have seen, went straight to his hotel in the Rue Saint Honore. He there found the Vicomte de Bragelonne waiting for him in his chamber, chatting with Grimaud. It was not an easy thing to talk with this old servant. Two men only possessed the secret—Athos and D'Artagnan. The first succeeded because Grimaud sought to make him speak himself. D'Artagnan, on the contrary, because he knew how to make Grimaud talk. Raoul was occupied in making him describe the voyage to England, and Grimaud had related it in all its details, with a limited number of gestures and eight words, neither more nor less. He had at first indicated by an undulating movement of his hand that his master and he had crossed the sea. "'Upon some expedition?' Raoul had asked. Grimaud, by bending down his head, had answered, "'Yes.' "'When Monsieur le Comte incurred much danger?' asked Raoul. "'Neither too much nor too little,' was replied by a shrug of the shoulders. "'But still, what sort of danger?' insisted Raoul. Grimaud pointed to the sword, he pointed to the fire, and to a musket that was hanging on the wall. "'Monsieur le Comte had an enemy there, then?' cried Raoul. "'Monk,' replied Grimaud. "'It is strange,' continued Raoul, "'that Monsieur le Comte persists in considering me a novice, and not allowing me to partake the honor and danger of his adventure.' Grimaud smiled. It was at this moment Athos came in. The host was lighting him up the stairs, and Grimaud, recognizing the step of his master, hastened to meet him with cut short the conversation. But Raoul was launched on the sea of interrogatories and did not stop. Taking both hands of the Comte with warm but respectful tenderness, "'How is it, monsieur,' said he, "'that you have set out upon a dangerous voyage without bidding me adieu, without commanding the aid of my sword, of myself, who ought to be your support?' now i have the strength whom you have brought up like a man ah oh, monsieur can you expose me to the cruel trial of never seeing you again who told you raoul said the comte placing his cloak and hat in the hands of grimaud who had unbuckled his sword who told you that my voyage was a dangerous one i said grimaud and why did you do so said athos sternly Grimaud was embarrassed. Raoul came to his assistance by answering for him. "'It is natural, monsieur, that our good Grimaud should tell me the truth in what concerns you. By whom should you be loved and supported, if not by me?' Athos did not reply. He made a friendly motion to Grimaud, which sent him out of the room. He then seated himself in a fauteuil, whilst Raoul remained standing before him. "'But it is true,' continued Raoul that your voyage was an expedition, and that steel and fire threatened you. "'Say no more about that, Vicomte,' said Athos mildly. "'I set out hastily, it is true, but the service of King Charles II required a prompt departure. As to your anxiety, I thank you for it, and I know that I can depend upon you. You have not wanted for anything, Vicomte, in my absence, have you?' "'No, monsieur.' thank you i left orders with blaisois to pay you a hundred pistoles if you should stand in need of money monsieur 
I have not seen Blaisois. You have been without money, then? Monsieur, I had thirty pistoles left from the sale of the horses I took in my last campaign, and Monsieur Leprince had the kindness to allow me to win two hundred pistoles at his play-table three months ago. Do you play? I don't like that, Raoul. I never play, monsieur. It was Monsieur Leprince who ordered me to hold his cards at Chantilly. One night, when a courier came to him from the king, I won, and Monsieur Leprince commanded me to take the stakes. Is that a practice in the household, Raoul? asked Athos with a frown. Yes, monsieur. Every week Monsieur Leprince affords, upon one occasion or another, a similar advantage to one of his gentlemen. There are fifty gentlemen in His Highness's household. It was my turn. Very well. You went into Spain, then? Yes, monsieur. I made a very delightful and interesting journey. You have been back a month, have you not? Yes, monsieur. And in the course of that month? In that month? What have you done? My duty, monsieur. Have you not been home to La Faire? Raoul colored. Athos looked at him with a fixed but tranquil expression. You would be wrong not to believe me, said Raoul. I feel that I colored and in spite of myself. The question you did me the honor to ask me is of a nature to raise in me much emotion. I color, then, because I am agitated, not because I meditate a falsehood. I know, Raoul, you never lie. No, monsieur. Besides, my young friend, you would be wrong. What I wanted to say... I know quite well, monsieur. You would ask me if I have not been to Blois. Exactly so. I have not been there. I have not even seen the person to whom you allude. Raoul's voice trembled as he pronounced these words. Athos, a sovereign judge in all matters of delicacy, immediately added, Raoul, you answer with a painful feeling. You are unhappy. Very, monsieur. You have forbidden me to go to Blois, or to see Mademoiselle de la Valliere again. Here the young man stopped. That dear name, so delightful to pronounce, made his heart bleed, although so sweet upon his lips. I have acted rightly, Raoul, Athos hastened to reply. I am neither an unjust nor a barbarous father. I respect true love, but I look forward for you to a future, an immense future. A new reign is about to break upon us like a fresh dawn. War calls upon a young king full of chivalric spirit. What is wanting to assist this heroic ardor is a battalion of young and free lieutenants, who would rush to the fight with enthusiasm and fall, crying, Vive le roi! Instead of adieu, my dear wife. You understand that, Raoul. However brutal my reasoning may appear, I conjure you, then, to believe me and to turn away your thoughts from those early days of youth in which you took up this habit of love, days of effeminate carelessness, which soften the heart and render it incapable of consuming those strong, bitter draughts, called glory and adversity. Therefore, Raoul, I repeat to you, you should see in my counsel only the desire of being useful to you, only the ambition of seeing you prosper. 
I believe you capable of becoming a remarkable man. March alone, and you will march better and more quickly. You have commanded, monsieur, replied Raoul, and I obey. Commanded, cried Athos. Is it thus you reply to me? I have commanded you, oh! You distort my words as you misconceive my intentions. I do not command you. I request you. No, monsieur, you have commanded, said Raoul persistently. Had you only requested me, your request is even more effective than your order. I have not seen Mademoiselle de Valier again. But you are unhappy. You are unhappy insisted athos raoul made no reply i find you pale i find you dull the sentiment is strong then it is a passion replied raoul no a habit monsieur you know i have traveled much that i have passed two years far away from her a habit would yield to an absence of two years i believe whereas on my return I loved not more, that was impossible, but as much. Mademoiselle de la Valliere is for me the one lady above all others. But you are for me a god upon earth. To you I sacrifice everything. You are wrong, said Athos. I have no longer any right over you. Age has emancipated you. You no longer even stand in need of my consent. Besides, I will not refuse my consent after what you have told me. Marry Mademoiselle de la Valliere, if you like. Raoul was startled, but suddenly— You are very kind, monsieur, said he, and your concession excites my warmest gratitude, but I will not accept it. Then— you now refuse yes monsieur i will not oppose you in anything raoul but you have at the bottom of your heart an idea against this marriage it is not your choice that is true that is sufficient to make me resist i will wait beware raoul what you are now saying is serious i know it is monsieur as i said i will wait until i die said athos much agitated oh monsieur cried raoul with tears in his eyes is it possible that you should wound my heart thus i have never given you cause of complaint dear boy that is true murmured athos pressing his lips violently together to conceal the emotion of which he was no longer master. No, I will no longer afflict you. Only I do not comprehend what you mean by waiting. Will you wait till you love no longer? Ha! For that! No, monsieur. I will wait till you change your opinion. I should wish to put the matter to a test, Raoul. I should like to see if Mademoiselle de la Valliere will wait as you do. I hope so, monsieur. But take care, Raoul. Suppose she did not wait. Uh, you are so young. 
so confiding, so loyal. Women are changeable. You have never spoken ill to me of women, monsieur. You have never had to complain of them. Why should you doubt of Mademoiselle de la Valliere? That is true, said Athos, casting down his eyes. I have never spoken ill to you of women. I have never had to complain of them. Mademoiselle de la Valliere never gave birth to a suspicion, but when we are looking forward we must go even to exceptions, even to improbabilities. If I say, Mademoiselle de la Valliere should not wait for you. How, monsieur? If she turned her eyes another way. If she looked favorably upon another, do you mean, monsieur? said Raoul, pale with agony. Exactly. Well, monsieur, I would kill him, said Raoul simply, and all the men whom Mademoiselle de la Valliere should choose until one of them had killed me, or Mademoiselle de la Valliere had restored me to her heart. Athos started. I thought, resumed he in an agitated voice, that you called me just now your god your law on this world oh said raoul trembling you would forbid me the duel suppose i did forbid it raoul you would forbid me to hope monsieur consequently you would not forbid me to die athos raised his eyes toward the vicomte he had pronounced these words with the most melancholy inflection accompanied by the most melancholy look enough said athos after a long silence enough of this subject upon which we both go too far live as well as you are able raoul perform your duties love mademoiselle de la valliere in a word act like a man since you have attained the age of a man only do not forget that i love you tenderly and that you profess to love me. Ah, oh, Monsieur le Comte, cried Raoul, pressing the hand of Athos to his heart. Enough, dear boy. Leave me. I want rest. Apropos, Monsieur d'Artagnan has returned from England with me. You owe him a visit. I will pay it, Monsieur, with great pleasure. I love Monsieur d'Artagnan exceedingly. You are right in doing so. He is a worthy man and a brave cavalier. Who loves you dearly? I am sure of that. Do you know his address? At the Louvre, I suppose. Or oh, wherever the king is, does he not command the musketeers? No. At present, Monsieur d'Artagnan is absent on leave. He is resting for a while. Do not therefore seek him at the posts of his service. You will hear of him at the house of a certain Planchet. His former lackey? Exactly. Turned grocer. I know. Rue de Lombard? Somewhere thereabouts, or Rue d'Arcy. I will find it, monsieur. I will find it. You will say a thousand kind things to him on my part, and ask him to come and dine with me before I set out for the fair. Yes, monsieur. Good night, Raoul. Monsieur, I see you wear an order I never saw you wear before. Accept my compliments. The fleece. That is true. 
a bauble my boy which no longer amuses an old child like myself good night raoul end of chapter fifty one recording by john van stan savannah georgia chapter fifty two of the d'artagnan romances volume three part one by alexander dumas translated by william robson this librivox recording is in the public domain d'artagnan's lesson raoul did not meet with d'artagnan the next day as he had hoped he only met with planchet whose joy was great at seeing the young man again and who contrived to pay him two or three little soldierly compliments savoring very little of the grocer's shop but as raoul was returning the next day from vincennes at head of fifty dragoons confided to him by monsieur le prince he perceived in la place Baudoyer a man with his nose in the air examining a house as we examine a horse we have a fancy to buy this man dressed in citizen costume buttoned up like a military porpent a very small hat on his head but a long chagrin mounted sword by his side turned his head as soon as he heard the steps of the horses and left off looking at the house to look at the dragoons it was simply monsieur d'artagnan d'artagnan on foot d'artagnan with his hands behind him passing a little review upon the dragoons after having reviewed the buildings not a man not a tag not a horse's hoof escaped his inspection raoul rode at the side of his troop and d'artagnan perceived him the last eh said he eh, mordieu i was not mistaken cried raoul turning his horse towards him mistaken no good day to you replied the ex-musketeer whilst raoul eagerly pressed the hand of his old friend take care raoul said d'artagnan the second horse of the fifth rank will lose a shoe before he gets to the pont marie he has only two nails left in his off forefoot wait a minute i will come back said raoul can you quit your detachment the cornet is there to take my place then you will come and dine with me most willingly monsieur d'artagnan be quick then leave your horse or make them give me one i prefer coming back on foot with you raoul hastened to give notice to the cornet who took his post he then dismounted gave his horse to one of the dragoons and with great delight seized the arm of monsieur d'artagnan who had watched him during all these little evolutions with the satisfaction of a connoisseur what do you come from vincennes said he yes monsieur le chevalier and the cardinal is very ill it is even reported he is dead are you on good terms with monsieur fouquet asked d'artagnan with a disdainful movement of the shoulders proving that the death of mazarin did not affect him beyond measure with monsieur fouquet said raoul i do not know him so much the worse so much the worse for a new king always seeks to get good men in his employment oh the king means no harm replied the young man i say nothing about the crown cried d'artagnan i am speaking of the king the king that is monsieur fouquet if the cardinal is dead you must contrive to stand well with monsieur fouquet if you do not wish to moulder away all your life as i have moldered it is true you have fortunately other protectors monsieur le prince for instance worn out 
worn out monsieur le comte de la fere athos oh that's different yes athos and if you have any wish to make your way in england you cannot apply to a better person i can even say without too much vanity that i myself have some credit at the court of charles the second there is a king god speed him ah cried raoul with the natural curiosity of well-born young people while listening to experience and courage yes a king who amuses himself it is true but who has had a sword in his hand and can appreciate useful men athos is on good terms with charles the second take service there and leave these scoundrels of contractors and farmers general who steal as well with french hands as others have done with italian hands leave the little sniveling king who is going to give us another reign of francis the second do you know anything of history raoul yes monsieur le chevalier do you know then that francis the second had always the earache no i did not know that that charles the fourth had always the headache indeed and henry the third always the stomach ache raoul began to laugh well my dear friend louis the fourteenth always has the heartache it is deplorable to see a king sighing from morning till night without saying once in course of the day ventre saint gris coeur or anything to rouse one was that the reason why you quitted the service monsieur le chevalier yes but you yourself monsieur d'artagnan are throwing the handle after the axe you will not make a fortune who i replied d'artagnan in a careless tone i am settled i had some family property raoul looked at him the poverty of d'artagnan was proverbial a gascon he exceeded in ill luck all the gasconades of france and navarre raoul had a hundred times heard job and d'artagnan named together as the twins romulus and remus d'artagnan caught raoul's look of astonishment and has your father not told you i have been in england yes monsieur le chevalier and that i there met with a very lucky chance no monsieur i did not know that yes a very worthy friend of mine a great nobleman a viceroy of scotland and ireland has endowed me with an inheritance an inheritance and a good one too then you are rich <laughs> receive my sincere congratulation thank you look that is my house place de greve yes don't you like this quarter on the contrary the lookout over the water is pleasant oh what a pretty old house the sign notre dame it is an old cabaret which i have transformed into a private house in two days but the cabaret is still open pardieu and where do you lodge then i i lodge with planchet you said just now this is my house i said so because in fact it is my house i have bought it ah said raoul 
at ten years purchase my dear raoul a superb affair i bought the house for thirty thousand livres it has a garden which opens to the rue de la mortillerie the cabaret lets for a thousand livres with the first story the garret or second floor for five hundred livres indeed yes indeed five hundred livres for a garret why it is not habitable therefore no one inhabits it only you see this garret has two windows which look out upon the place yes monsieur well then every time anybody is broken on the wheel or hung quartered or burnt these two windows let for twenty pistoles oh said raoul with horror it is disgusting is it not said d'artagnan oh repeated raoul it is disgusting but so it is these parisian cockneys are sometimes real anthropophagi i cannot conceive how men christians can make such speculations that is true as for myself continued d'artagnan if i inhabited that house on days of execution i would shut it up to the very keyholes but i do not inhabit it and you let the garret for five hundred livres to the ferocious cabaretier who sublets it i said then fifteen hundred livres the natural interest of money said raoul five per cent exactly so i then have the left side of the house at the back storerooms and cellars inundated every winter two hundred livres and the garden which is very fine well planted well shaded under the walls and the portal of saint gervais saint porte thirteen hundred livres thirteen hundred livres why that is royal this is the whole history i strongly suspect some canon of the parish these canons are all as rich as croesus i suspect some canon of having hired the garden to take his pleasure in the tenant has given the name of monsieur godard that is either a false name or a real name if true he is a canon if false he is some unknown but of what consequence is it to me he always pays in advance i had also an idea just now when i met you of buying a house in the place Bourdier, the back premises of which joined my garden and would make a magnificent property your dragoons interrupted my calculations come let us take the rue de la vannerie that will lead us straight to monsieur planchet's d'artagnan mended his pace and conducted raoul to planchet's dwelling a chamber of which the grocer had given up to his old master planchet was out but the dinner was ready there was a remains of military regularity and punctuality preserved in the grocer's household d'artagnan returned to the subject of raoul's future your father brings you up rather strictly said he justly monsieur le chevalier oh yes i know athos is just but close perhaps a royal hand monsieur d'artagnan well never want my boy if you ever stand in need of a few pistoles the old musketeer is at hand my dear monsieur d'artagnan do you play a little never successful with the ladies then oh my little aramis 
that my dear friend costs even more than play it is true we fight when we lose that is a compensation bah that little sniveller the king makes winners give him his revenge what a rain my poor raoul what a rain when we think that in my time the musketeers were besieged in their houses like hector and priam in the city of troy and the women wept and then the walls laughed and then five hundred beggarly fellows clapped their hands and cried kill kill when not one musketeer was hurt mordieu you will never see anything like that you are very hard upon the king my dear monsieur d'artagnan and yet you scarcely know him i listen raoul day by day hour by hour take note of my words i will predict what he will do the cardinal being dead he will fret very well that is the least silly thing he will do particularly if he does not shed a tear and then why then he will get monsieur fouquet to allow him a pension and will go and compose verses at fontainebleau upon some mancini or other whose eyes the queen will scratch out she is a spaniard you see this queen of ours and she has for mother-in-law madame anne of austria i know something of the spaniards of the house of austria and next well after having torn off the silver lace from the uniforms of the swiss because lace is too expensive he will dismount the musketeers because the oats and hay of a horse cost five souls a day oh do not say that of what consequence is it to me i am no longer a musketeer am i let them be on horseback let them be on foot let them carry a larding-pin a spit a sword or nothing what is it to me my dear monsieur d'artagnan i beseech you speak no more ill of the king i am almost in his service and my father would be very angry with me for having heard even from your mouth words injurious to his majesty your father eh he is a knight in every bad cause pardieu yes your father is a brave man a caesar it is true but a man without perception now my dear chevalier exclaimed raoul laughing are you going to speak ill of my father of him you call the great athos truly you are in a bad vein to-day riches render you as sour as poverty renders other people pardieu you are right i am a rascal and in my dotage i am an unhappy wretch grown old a tent-cord untwisted a pierced cuirass a boot without a sole a spur without a rowel but do me the pleasure to add one thing what is that my dear monsieur d'artagnan simply say mazarin was a pitiful wretch perhaps he is dead more the reason i say was if i did not hope that he was dead i would entreat you to say mazarin is a pitiful wretch come say so say so for, for the love of me well i will say it mazarin was a pitiful wretch said raoul smiling at the musketeer who roared with laughter as in his best days a moment said the latter you have spoken my first proposition 
here is the conclusion of it repeat raoul repeat but i regret mazarin chevalier you will not say it then well then i will say it twice for you but you would regret mazarin and they were still laughing and discussing this profession of principles when one of the shop-boys entered a letter monsieur said he for monsieur d'artagnan thank you give it to me cried the musketeer the handwriting of monsieur le comte said raoul yes yes and d'artagnan broke the seal dear friend said athos a person has just been here to beg me to seek for you on the part of the king seek me said d'artagnan letting the paper fall upon the table raoul picked it up and continued to read aloud make haste his majesty is very anxious to speak to you and expects you at the louvre expects me again repeated the musketeer <laughs> laughed raoul oh replied d'artagnan what the devil can this mean End of chapter 52. Recording by John Van Stan, Savannah, Georgia. Chapter 53 of the D'Artagnan Romances, Volume 3, Part 1 by Alexandre Dumas, translated by William Robson. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. The King. The first moment of surprise over. D'Artagnan reperused Athos's note it is strange said he that the king should send for me why so said raoul do you not think monsieur that the king must regret such a servant as you ho ho cried the officer laughing with all his might you are poking fun at me master raoul if the king had regretted me he would not have let me leave him no no i see in it something better or worse if you like worse what can that be monsieur le chevalier you are young you are a boy you are admirable oh how i should like to be as you are to be but twenty-four with an unfurrowed brow under which the brain is void of everything but women love and good intentions oh raoul as long as you have not received the smiles of kings the confidence of queens as long as you have not had two cardinals killed under you the one a tiger the other a fox as long as you have not but what is the good of all this trifling we must part raoul how you say the word what a serious face eh, but the occasion is worthy of it listen to me i have a very good recommendation to tender you i am all attention monsieur d'artagnan you will go and inform your father of my departure your departure pardieu you will tell him that i am gone into england and that i am living in my little country house in england you and the king's orders you get more and more silly do you imagine that i am going to the louvre to place myself at the disposal of that little crowned wolf-cub the king a wolf-cub why 
Monsieur le Chevalier, you are mad. On the contrary, I never was so sane. You do not know what he wants to do with me, this worthy son of Louis the Just. But, mordieu, that is policy. He wishes to ensconce me snugly in the Bastille, purely and simply. Look you. What for? cried Raoul, terrified at what he heard. On account of what I told him one day at Blois. I was warm. He remembers it. You told him what? That he was mean, cowardly, and silly. Good God! cried Raoul. Is it possible that such words should have issued from your mouth? Perhaps I don't give the letter of my speech, but I give the sense of it. But did not the king have you arrested immediately? By whom? It was I who commanded the musketeers. He must have commanded me to convey myself to prison. I would never have consented. I would have resisted myself. And then I went into England. No more d'Artagnan. Now the cardinal is dead, or nearly so. They learn that I am in Paris, and they lay their hands on me. The cardinal was your protector. The cardinal knew me. He knew certain particularities of me. I also knew some of his. We appreciated each other mutually. And then, on rendering his soul to the devil, he would recommend Anne of Austria to make me the inhabitant of a safe place. Go, then, and find your father. Relate the fact to him. And adieu. My dear Monsieur d'Artagnan, said Raoul, very much agitated after having looked out at the window. You cannot even fly. Why not? Because there is below an officer of the Swiss guards waiting for you. Well? Well, he will arrest you. D'Artagnan broke into a Homeric laugh. Oh, I know very well that you will resist, that you will fight even. I know very well that you will prove the conqueror, but that amounts to rebellion, and you are an officer yourself, knowing what discipline is. Devil of a boy! How logical that is! grumbled D'Artagnan. You approve of it, do you not? Yes. Instead of passing into the street where that idiot is waiting for me, I will slip quietly out at the back. I have a horse in the stable and a good one. I will ride him to death. My means permit me to do so. And by killing one horse after another, I shall arrive at Boulogne in eleven hours. I know the road. Only tell your father one thing. What is that? That is... That the thing he knows about is placed at Planchet's house, except a fifth, and that... But, my dear Monsieur d'Artagnan, rest assured that if you fly, two things will be said of you. What are they, my dear friend? The first, that you have been afraid. Ha! And who would dare to say that? The king first. Well, but he will tell the truth, I am afraid. The second, that you knew yourself guilty. Guilty of what? Why, of the crimes they wish to impute to you. That is true again. 
so then you advise me to go and get myself made a prisoner in the bastille monsieur le comte de la fere would advise you just as i do pardieu i know he would said d'artagnan thoughtfully you are right i shall not escape but if they cast me into the bastille we will get you out again said raoul with a quiet calm air mordieu you said that after a brave fashion raoul said d'artagnan seizing his hand that savors of athos distinctly well i will go then do not forget my last word except a fifth said raoul yes you are a fine boy and i wish you had one thing to that last word speak chevalier it is that if you cannot get me out of the bastille and i remain there oh that will be so and i shall be a detestable prisoner i who have been a passable man in that case i give three-fifths to you and the fourth to your father chevalier mordieu if you will have some masses said for me you are welcome that being said d'artagnan took his belt from the hook girded on his sword took a hat the feather of which was fresh and held his hand out to raoul who threw himself into his arms when in the shop he cast a quick glance at the shop lads who looked upon the scene with a pride mingled with some inquietude then plunging his hands into a chest of currants he went straight to the officer who was waiting for him at the door those features can it be you monsieur de friedish cried d'artagnan gaily hey, hey what do we arrest our friends arrest whispered the lads among themselves yes it is i monsieur d'artagnan good day to you said the swiss in his mountain patois must i give you up my sword i warn you that it is long and heavy you had better let me wear it to the louvre i feel quite lost in the streets without a sword and you would be more at a loss than i should with two the king has given no orders about it replied the swiss so keep your sword well that is very polite on the part of the king let us go at once monsieur friedish was not a talker and d'artagnan had too many things to think about to say much from planchet's shop to the louvre was not far they arrived in ten minutes it was a dark night monsieur de friedish wanted to enter by the wicket no said d'artagnan you would lose time by that take the little staircase the swiss did as d'artagnan advised and conducted him to the vestibule of the king's cabinet when arrived there he bowed to his prisoner and without saying anything returned to his post d'artagnan had not had time to ask why his sword was not taken from him when the door of the cabinet opened and a valet de chambre called monsieur d'artagnan the musketeer assumed his parade carriage and entered with his large eyes wide open his brow calm his mustache stiff the king was seated at a table writing he did not disturb himself when the step of the musketeer resounded on the floor he did not even turn his head d'artagnan advanced as far as the middle of the room and seeing that the king paid no attention to him and suspecting besides that this was nothing but affectation a sort of tormenting preamble to the explanation that was preparing he turned his back on the prince 
and began to examine the frescoes on the cornices and the cracks in the ceiling. This maneuver was accompanied by a little tacit monologue. Ha! Huh. You want to humble me, do you? You, whom I have seen so young, you, whom I have served as I would my own child, you, whom I have served as I would a god, that is to say, for nothing. Wait a while, wait a while. You shall see what a man can do who has snuffed the air of the fire of the Huguenots under the beard of Monsieur le Cardinal, the true Cardinal. At this moment, Louis turned around. Huh. Are you there, Monsieur d'Artagnan? said he. D'Artagnan saw the movement and imitated it. Yes, sire, said he. Very well. Have the goodness to wait till I have cast this up. D'Artagnan made no reply. He only bowed. That is polite enough, thought he. I have nothing to say. Louis made a violent dash with his pen and threw it angrily away. Ha! Go on, work yourself up, thought the musketeer. You will put me at my ease. You shall find I did not empty the bag the other day at Blois. Louis rose from his seat, passed his hand over his brow, then, stopping opposite to D'Artagnan, he looked at him with an air at once imperious and kind. "'What the devil does he want with me? I wish he would begin,' thought the musketeer. "'Monsieur,' said the king, "'you know without doubt that Monsieur le Cardinal is dead?' "'I suspected so, sire.' "'You know that, consequently, I am master in my own kingdom?' "'That is not a thing that dates from the death of Monsieur le Cardinal, sire. A man is always master in his own house, when he wishes to be so.' "'Yes, but do you remember all you said to me at Blois?' "'Now we come to it,' thought D'Artagnan. "'I was not deceived. Well, so much the better.' It is a sign that my scent is tolerably keen yet. "'You do not answer me,' said Louis. "'Sire, I think I recollect.' "'You only think?' "'It is so long ago.' "'If you do not remember, I do. You said to me, "'Listen with attention.' "'Ah, I shall listen with all my ears, sire.' for it is very likely the conversation will turn in a fashion very interesting to me. Louis once more looked at the musketeer. The latter smoothed the feather of his hat, then his mustache, and waited bravely. Louis the Fourteenth continued. "'You quitted my service, monsieur, after having told me the whole truth?' "'Yes, sire.' "'That is, after having declared to me all you thought to be true, with regard to my mode of thinking and acting, that is always a merit. You began by telling me that you had served my family thirty years, and were fatigued. I said so. Yes, sire. And you afterwards admitted that that fatigue was a pretext, and that discontent was the real cause? I was discontented, in fact. But— that discontent has never betrayed itself that i know of and if like a man of heart i have spoken out before your majesty i have not even thought of the matter before anybody else
do not excuse yourself d'artagnan but continue to listen to me when making me the reproach that you were discontented you received in reply a promise wait is not that true yes sire as true as what i told you you answered me hereafter no now immediately do not excuse yourself i tell you it was natural but you had no charity for your poor prince monsieur d'artagnan sire charity for a king on the part of a poor soldier you understand me very well you knew that i stood in need of it you knew very well that i was not master you knew very well that my hope was in the future now you answered me when i spoke of that future my discharge and that directly that is true murmured d'artagnan biting his mustache you did not flatter me when i was in distress added louis but said d'artagnan raising his head nobly if i did not flatter your majesty when poor neither did i betray you i have shed my blood for nothing i have watched like a dog at a door knowing full well that neither bread nor bone would be thrown to me i although poor likewise ask nothing of your majesty but the discharge you speak of i know you are a brave man but i was a young man and you ought to have had some indulgence for me what had you to reproach the king with that he left king charles a second without assistance let us say further that he did not marry mademoiselle de mancini when saying these words the king fixed upon the musketeer a searching look Aha! thought the latter he is doing far more than remembering he divines the devil your sentence continued louis fell upon the king and fell upon the man but monsieur d'artagnan that weakness for you considered it a weakness d'artagnan made no reply you reproached me also with regard to monsieur the defunct cardinal now monsieur le cardinal did he not bring me up did he not support me elevating himself and supporting himself at the same time i admit but the benefit was discharged as an ingrate or an egotist would you then have better loved or served me sire we will say no more about it monsieur it would only create in you too many regrets and me too much pain d'artagnan was not convinced the young king in adopting a tone of hauteur with him did not forward his purpose you have since reflected resumed louis upon what sire asked d'artagnan politely why upon all that i have said to you monsieur yes sire no doubt and you have only waited for an opportunity of retracting your words sire you hesitate it seems i do not understand what your majesty did me the honor to say to me louis's brow became cloudy have the goodness to excuse me sire my understanding is particularly thick 
things do not penetrate it without difficulty but it is true when once they get in they remain there yes yes you appear to have a memory almost as good a one as your majesty's then give me quickly one solution my time is valuable what have you been doing since your discharge making my fortune sire the expression is crude monsieur d'artagnan your majesty takes it in bad part certainly i entertain nothing but the profoundest respect for the king and if i have been impolite which might be excused by my long sojourn in camps and barracks your majesty is too much above me to be offended at a word that innocently escapes from a soldier in fact i know you performed a brilliant action in england monsieur i only regret that you have broken your promise i cried d'artagnan doubtless you engaged your word not to serve any other prince on quitting my service now it was for king charles the second that you undertook the marvellous carrying off of monsieur monk pardon me sire it was for myself and did you succeed like the captains of the fifteenth century coudeman and adventurous what do you call succeeding a fortune a hundred thousand crowns sire which i now possess that is in one week three times as much money as i ever had in fifty years it is a handsome sum but you are ambitious i perceive i sire the quarter of that would be a treasure and i swear to you i have no thought of augmenting it what you contemplate remaining idle yes sire you mean to drop the sword that i have already done impossible monsieur d'artagnan said louis firmly but sire well and why sire because it is my wish you should not said the young prince in a voice so stern and imperious that d'artagnan evinced surprise and even uneasiness will your majesty allow me one word of reply said he speak i formed that resolution when i was poor and destitute so be it go on now when by my energy i have acquired a comfortable means of subsistence would your majesty despoil me of my liberty your majesty would condemn me to the lowest when i have gained the highest who gave you permission monsieur to fathom my designs or to reckon with me replied louis in a voice almost angry who told you what i shall do or what you will yourself do sire said the musketeer quietly as far as i see freedom is not the order of the conversation as it was on the day we came to an explanation at blois no monsieur everything is changed i tender your majesty my sincere compliments upon that but but 
you don't believe it i am not a great statesman and yet i have my eye upon affairs it seldom fails now i do not see exactly as your majesty does sire the reign of mazarin is over but that of the financiers is begun they have the money your majesty will not often see much of it to live under the paw of these hungry wolves is hard for a man who reckoned upon independence at this moment someone scratched at the door of the cabinet the king raised his head proudly your pardon monsieur d'artagnan said he it is monsieur colbert who comes to make me a report come in monsieur colbert d'artagnan drew back colbert entered with papers in hand and went up to the king there can be little doubt that the gascon did not lose the opportunity of applying his keen quick glance to the new figure which presented itself is the inquiry made yes sire and the opinion of the inquisitors is that the accused merit confiscation and a death ha ha said the king without changing countenance and casting an oblique look at d'artagnan and your own opinion monsieur colbert said he colbert looked at d'artagnan in his turn that imposing countenance checked the words upon his lips louis perceived this do not disturb yourself said he it is monsieur d'artagnan do you not know monsieur d'artagnan again these two men looked at each other d'artagnan with eyes open and bright as the day colbert with his half-closed and dim the frank intrepidity of the one annoyed the other the circumspection of the financier disgusted the soldier ah ah this is the gentleman who made the brilliant stroke in england said colbert and he bowed slightly to d'artagnan aha uh -huh, said the gascon this is the gentleman who clipped off the lace from the uniform of the swiss the praiseworthy piece of economy the financier thought to pierce the musketeer but the musketeer ran the financier through monsieur d'artagnan resumed the king who had not remarked all the shades of which mazarin would have missed not one this concerns the farmers of the revenue who have robbed me whom i am hanging and whose death warrants i am about to sign oh oh said d'artagnan starting what did you say oh nothing sire this is no business of mine the king had already taken up the pen and was applying it to the paper sire said colbert in a subdued voice i beg to warn your majesty that if an example be necessary there will be difficulty in the execution of your orders what do you say said louis you must not conceal from yourself continued colbert quietly that attacking the farmers general is attacking the superintendents the two unfortunate guilty men in question are the particular friends of a powerful personage and this punishment which otherwise might be comfortably confined to the chatelet which doubtless will be a signal for disturbances louis colored and turned toward d'artagnan who took a slight bite at his mustache 
not without a smile of pity for the financier and for the king who had to listen to him so long but louis seized the pen and with a movement so rapid that his hand shook he affixed his signature at the bottom of the two papers presented by colbert then looking the latter in the face monsieur colbert said he when you speak to me on business exclude the more frequently the word difficulty from your reasonings and opinions as to the word impossibility never pronounce it colbert bowed much humiliated at having to undergo such a lesson before the musketeer he was about to go out but jealous to repair his check i forgot to announce to your majesty said he that the confiscations amount to the sum of five millions of livres that's pretty well thought d'artagnan which makes in my coffers said the king eighteen millions of livres sire replied colbert bowing mordieu growled d'artagnan that's glorious monsieur colbert added the king you will if you please go through the gallery where monsieur lyon is waiting and will tell him to bring hither what he has drawn up by my order directly sire if your majesty wants me no more this evening no monsieur good night and colbert went out now let us return to our affair monsieur d'artagnan said the king as if nothing had happened you see that with respect to money there is already a notable change something to the tune of from zero to eighteen millions replied the musketeer gaily that was what your majesty wanted the day king charles the first came to blois the two states would not have been embroiled to-day for i must say that there also i see another stumbling-block well in the first place replied louis you are unjust monsieur for if providence had made me able to give my brother the million that day you would not have quitted my service and consequently you would not have made your fortune as you told me just now you have done but in addition to this i have had another piece of good fortune and my difference with great britain need not alarm you a valet de chambre interrupted the king by announcing monsieur lyon come in monsieur said the king you are punctual that is like a good servant let us see your letter to my brother charles the second d'artagnan pricked up his ears a moment monsieur said louis carelessly to the gascon i must expedite to london my consent to the marriage of my brother monsieur le duc d'anjou with the princess henrietta stuart he is knocking me about it seems murmured d'artagnan whilst the king signed the letter and dismissed monsieur de lyon but ma foi the more he knocks me about in this manner the better i like it the king followed monsieur de lyon with his eyes till the door was closed behind him. He even made three steps, as if he would follow the minister, but after these three steps, stopping, pausing, and coming back to the musketeer, "'Now, monsieur,' said he, "'let us hasten to terminate our affair. You told me the other day at Blois that you were not rich.' "'But I am now, sire.' "'Yes, but that does not concern me. 
you have your own money not mine that does not enter into my account i do not well understand what your majesty means then instead of leaving you to draw out words speak spontaneously should you be satisfied with twenty thousand livres a year as a fixed income but sire said d'artagnan opening his eyes to the utmost would you be satisfied with four horses furnished and kept and with a supplement of funds such as you might require according to occasions and needs or would you prefer a fixed sum which would be for example forty thousand livres answer sire your majesty yes you are surprised that is natural and i expected it answer me come or i shall think you have no longer the rapidity of judgment i have so much admired in you it is certain sire that twenty thousand livres a year makes a handsome sum but no buts yes or no it is an honorable indemnity oh very certainly you will be satisfied with it that is well it will be better to reckon the extra expenses separately you can arrange that with colbert now let us pass to something more important but sire i told your majesty that you wanted rest i know you did only i replied that i would not allow it i am master i suppose yes sire that is well you were formerly in the way of becoming captain of the musketeers yes sire well here is your commission signed i place it in this drawer the day on which you shall return from a certain expedition which i have to confide to you on that day you may yourself take the commission from the drawer d'artagnan still hesitated and hung down his head come monsieur said the king one would believe to look at you that you did not know that at the court of the most christian king the captain-general of the musketeers takes precedence of the marechals of france sire i know he does then am i to think you do put no faith in my word oh sire never never dream of such a thing i have wished to prove to you that you so good a servant had lost a good master am i anything like the master that will suit you i begin to think you are sire then monsieur you will resume your functions your company is quite disorganized since your departure and the men go about drinking and rioting in the cabarets where they fight in spite of my edicts and those of my father you will reorganize the service as soon as possible yes sire you will not again quit my person very well sire you will march with me to the army you will encamp round my tent then sire said d'artagnan if it is only to impose upon me a service like that your majesty need not give me twenty thousand livres a year i shall not earn them i desire that you shall keep open house i desire that you should keep a liberal table i desire that my captain of musketeers should be a personage and i said d'artagnan bluntly i do not like easily found money i like money won 
your majesty gives me an idle trade which the first comer would perform for four thousand livres louis the fourteenth began to laugh you are a true gascon monsieur d'artagnan you will draw my heart's secret from me bah has your majesty a secret then yes monsieur well then i accept the twenty thousand livres for i will keep that secret and discretion is above all price in these times will your majesty speak now boot yourself monsieur d'artagnan and to horse directly sire within two days that is well sire for i have my affairs to settle before i set out particularly if it is likely there should be any blows stirring that may happen we can receive them but sire you have addressed yourself to avarice to ambition you have addressed yourself to the heart of monsieur d'artagnan but you have forgotten one thing what is that you have said nothing to his vanity when shall i be a knight of the knight's orders does that interest you why yes sire my friend athos is quite covered with orders and that dazzles me you shall be a knight of my order a month after you have taken your commission of captain <laughs> said the officer thoughtfully after the expedition precisely where is your majesty going to send me are you acquainted with britannia have you any friends there in britannia no ma foi so much the better do you know anything about fortifications i believe i do sire said d'artagnan smiling that is to say you can readily distinguish a fortress from a simple fortification such as is allowed to chatelains or vassals i distinguish a fort from a rampart as i distinguish a cuirass from a raised pie-crust sire is that sufficient yes monsieur you will set out then for britannia yes alone absolutely alone that is to say you must not even take a lackey with you may i ask your majesty for what reason because monsieur it will be necessary to disguise yourself sometimes as the servant of a good family your face is very well known in france monsieur d'artagnan and then sire and then you will travel slowly through britannia and will examine carefully the fortifications of that country the coasts yes and the isles commencing by belle isle en mer ah which belongs to monsieur fouquet said d'artagnan in a serious tone raising his intelligent eye to louis the fourteenth i fancy you are right monsieur and that belle isle does belong to monsieur fouquet in fact then your majesty wishes me to ascertain if belle isle is a strong place yes if the fortifications of it are new or old precisely and if the vassals of monsieur fouquet are sufficiently numerous to form a garrison that is what i want to know you have placed your finger on the question and 
if they are not fortifying, sire. You will travel about Britannia, listening and judging. Then I am a king's spy, said D'Artagnan bluntly, twisting his mustache. No, monsieur. Your pardon, sire. I spy on your majesty's account. You start on a voyage of discovery, monsieur. Would you march at the head of your musketeers with your sword in hand to observe any spot whatever or an enemy's position? At this word, D'Artagnan started. Do you, continued the king, imagine yourself to be a spy? No, no, said D'Artagnan, but pensively. The thing changes its face when one observes an enemy. One is but a soldier. And if they are fortifying Belle-Isle, added he quickly, you will take an exact plan of the fortifications. Will they permit me to enter? That does not concern me. That is your affair. Did you not understand that I reserved for you a supplement of twenty thousand livres per annum, if you wished it? Yes, sire. But if they are not fortifying... You will return quietly, without fatiguing your horse. Sire, I am ready. You will begin tomorrow by going to Monsieur le Surintendant's to take the first quarter of the pension I give you. Do you know Monsieur Fouquet? Very little, sire, but I beg your majesty to observe that I don't think it immediately necessary that I should know him. Your pardon, monsieur, for he will refuse you the money I wish you to take, and it is that refusal I look for. Ah, oh, said D'Artagnan. Then, sire, the money being refused, you will go and seek it at Monsieur Colbert's. Apropos, have you a good horse? An excellent one, sire. How much did it cost you? A hundred and fifty pistoles. I will buy it of you. Here is a note for two hundred pistoles. But I won my horse for my journey, sire. Well? <laughs> well, and you take mine from me. Not at all. On the contrary, I give it you. Only as it is now mine and not yours, I am sure you will not spare it. Your majesty is in a hurry, then. A great hurry. Then... What compels me to wait two days? Reasons known to myself. That's a different affair. The horse may make up the two days in the ADS to travel. Then there is the post. No, no, the post compromises, Monsieur d'Artagnan. Be gone and do not forget. You are my servant. Sire, it is not my duty to forget it. At what hour tomorrow shall I take my leave of your majesty? Where do you lodge? I must henceforward lodge at the Louvre. That must not be now. Keep your lodgings in the city. I will pay for them. As to your departure, it must take place at night. You must set out without being seen by anyone. Or, if you are seen, it must not be known that you belong to me. Keep your mouth shut, monsieur. Your majesty spoils all you have said by that single word. I asked you where you have lodged. 
for I cannot always send to Monsieur le Comte de la Fere to seek you. I lodge with Monsieur Planchet, a grocer, Rue de Limbard, at the sign of the Pion d'Or. Go out but little, show yourself less, and await my orders. And yet, sire, I must go for the money. That is true, but when going to the superintendents, where so many people are constantly going, you must mingle with the crowd. I want the notes, sire, for the money. Here they are. The king signed them, and D'Artagnan looked on to assure himself of their regularity. Adieu, Monsieur D'Artagnan, added the king. I think you have perfectly understood me. I, I understand that your majesty sends me to Belle-Ile-en-Mer. That is all. To learn? To learn how Monsieur Fouquet's works are going on. That is all. Very well. I admit you may be taken. And I do not admit it, replied the Gascon boldly. I admit you may be killed, continued the king. That is not probable, sire. In the first case, you must not speak. In the second, there must be no papers found upon you. D'Artagnan shrugged his shoulders without ceremony and took leave of the king, saying to himself, The English shower continues. Let us remain under the spout. End of chapter 53. Recording by John Van Stan, Savannah, Georgia. Chapter 54 of the D'Artagnan Romances, Volume 3, Part 1, by Alexandre Dumas, translated by William Robson. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. The Houses of Monsieur Fouquet Whilst D'Artagnan was returning to Planchet's house, his head aching and bewildered with all that had happened to him, there was passing a scene of quite a different character, and which, nevertheless, is not foreign to the conversation our musketeer just had with the king. Only this scene took place out of Paris, in the house possessed by the superintendent Fouquet, in the village of Saint-Mande. The minister had just arrived at this country house, followed by his principal clerk, who carried an enormous portfolio full of papers to be examined, and others waiting for signature. As it might be about five o'clock in the afternoon, the masters had dined, supper was being prepared for twenty subaltern guests. The superintendent did not stop. On alighting from his carriage, he, at the same bound, sprang through the doorway, traversed the apartments, and gained his cabinet, where he declared he would shut himself up to work, commanding that he should not be disturbed for anything but an order from the king. As soon as this order was given, Fouquet shut himself up, and two footmen were placed as sentinels at his door. Then Fouquet pushed a bolt, which displaced a panel that walled up the entrance and prevented everything that passed in this apartment from being either seen or heard. But, against all probability, it was only for the sake of shutting himself up that Fouquet shut himself up thus, for he went straight to a bureau, seated himself at it, opened the portfolio, and began to make a choice amongst the enormous mass of papers it contained. It was not more than ten minutes after he had entered, and taken all the precautions we have described, when the repeated noise of several slight equal knocks struck his ear, and appeared to fix his utmost attention. Fouquet raised his head, turned his ear, and listened. The strokes continued, 
then the worker arose with a slight movement of impatience and walked straight up to a glass behind which the blows were struck by a hand or by some invisible mechanism it was a large glass let into a panel three other glasses exactly similar to it completed the symmetry of the apartment nothing distinguished that one from the others without doubt these reiterated knocks were a signal for at the moment fouquet approached the glass listening the same voice was renewed and in the same measure oh oh murmured the intendant with surprise who is yonder i did not expect anybody to-day and without doubt to respond to that signal he pulled out a gilded nail near the glass and shook it thrice then returning to his place and seating himself again ma foi let them wait said he and plunging again into the ocean of papers unrolled before him he appeared to think of nothing now but work in fact with incredible rapidity and marvellous lucidity fouquet deciphered the largest papers and most complicated writings correcting them annotating them with a pen moved as if by a fever and the work melting under his hands signatures figures references became multiplied as if ten clerks that is to say a hundred fingers and ten brains had performed the duties instead of the five fingers and single brain of this man from time to time only fouquet absorbed by his work raised his head to cast a furtive glance upon a clock placed before him the reason of this was fouquet set himself a task and when this task was once set in one hour's work he by himself did what another would not have accomplished in a day always certain consequently provided he was not disturbed of arriving at the close in the time his devouring activity had fixed but in the midst of his ardent labor the soft strokes upon the little bell placed behind the glass sounded again hasty and consequently more urgent the lady appears to be impatient said fouquet humph a calm that must be the comtesse but no the comtesse has gone to rambouillet for three days the presidente then oh no the presidente would not assume such grand airs she would ring very humbly then she would wait my good pleasure the greatest certainty is that i do not know who it can be but that i know who it cannot be and since it is not you marquise since it cannot be you deuce take the rest and he went on with his work in spite of the reiterated appeals of the bell at the end of a quarter of an hour however impatience prevailed over fouquet in his turn he might be said to consume rather than to complete the rest of his work he thrust his papers into his portfolio and giving a glance at the mirror whilst the taps continued faster than ever oh oh said he whence comes all this racket what has happened and who can the ariadne be who expects me so impatiently let us see he then applied the tip of his finger to the nail parallel to the one he had drawn immediately the glass moved like a folding door and discovered a secret closet rather deep in which the superintendent disappeared as if going into a vast box when there he touched another spring which opened not a board but a block of the wall and he went out by that opening leaving the door to shut of itself 
Then Fouquet descended about a score of steps which sank, winding underground, and came to a long subterranean passage, lighted by imperceptible loopholes. The walls of this vault were covered with slabs or tiles, and the floor with carpeting. This passage was under the street itself, which separated Fouquet's house from the park of Vincennes. At the end of the passage ascended a winding staircase parallel with that by which Fouquet had entered. He mounted these other stairs, entered by means of a spring placed in a closet similar to that in his cabinet, and from this closet an untenanted chamber furnished with the utmost elegance. As soon as he entered, he examined carefully whether the glass closed without leaving any trace, and doubtless satisfied with this observation, he opened by means of a small gold key the triple fastenings of a door in front of him. This time the door opened upon a handsome cabinet sumptuously furnished, in which was seated upon cushions a lady of surpassing beauty, who at the sound of the lock sprang towards Fouquet. "'Ah! Good heavens!' cried the latter, starting back with astonishment. "'Madame la Marquise de Belliere, you here?' "'Yes,' murmured la Marquise. "'Yes, it is I, monsieur.' marquise dear marquise added fouquet ready to prostrate himself ah my god how did you come here and i to keep you waiting a long time monsieur yes a very long time i am happy in thinking this waiting has appeared long to you marquise oh an eternity monsieur oh I rang more than twenty times. Did you not hear me? Marquise, you are pale. You tremble. Did you not hear, then, that you were summoned? Oh, yes. I heard plainly enough, madame, but I could not come. After your rigors and your refusals, how could I dream it was you? If I could have had any suspicions of the happiness that awaited me, believe me, madame, I would have quitted everything to fall at your feet, as I do at this moment. Are we quite alone, monsieur? asked the marquise, looking round the room. Oh, yes, madame, I can assure you of that. Really? said the marquise in a melancholy tone. You sigh said fouquet what mysteries what precautions said the marquise with a slight bitterness of expression and how evident it is that you feel the least suspicion of your amours to escape would you prefer their being made public oh no you act like a delicate man said the marquise smiling come dear marquise punish me not with reproaches i implore you reproaches have i a right to make you any no unfortunately no but tell me you who during a year i have loved without return or hope you are mistaken without hope it is true but not without return what for me of my love there is but one proof and that proof i still want i am here to bring it monsieur 
Fouquet wished to clasp her in his arms, but she disengaged herself with a gesture. "'You persist in deceiving yourself, monsieur, and never will accept of me the only thing I am willing to give you—devotion.' "'Ah, then, you do not love me. Devotion is but a virtue. Love is a passion.' "'Listen to me, I implore you. I should not have come hither without a serious motive. You are well assured of that, are you not?' the motive is of very little consequence so that you are but here so that i see you so that i speak to you you are right the principal thing is that i am here without anyone having seen me and that i can speak to you fouquet sank on his knees before her speak speak madame said he i listen to you the marquise looked at fouquet on his knees at her feet and there was in the looks of the woman a strange mixture of love and melancholy oh at length murmured she would that i were she who has the right of seeing you every minute of speaking to you every instant would that i were she who might watch over you she who would have no need of mysterious springs to summon and cause to appear like a sylph the man she loves, to look at him for an hour and then see him disappear in the darkness of a mystery, still more strange it is going out than it is coming in. Oh, that would be to live a happy woman. Do you happen, Marquise, said Fouquet, smiling, to be speaking of my wife? Yes, certainly of her i spoke well you need not envy her lot marquise of all the women with whom i have any relations madame fouquet is the one i see the least of and who has the least intercourse with me at least monsieur she is not reduced to place as i have done her hand upon the ornament of a glass to call you to her at least you do not reply to her by the mysterious, alarming sound of a bell, the spring of which comes from I don't know where. At least you have not forbidden her to endeavor to discover the secret of these communications under pain of breaking off forever your connections with her, as you have forbidden all who come here before me, and all who will come after me. Dear Marquise, how unjust you are and how little do you know what you are doing and thus exclaiming against mystery it is with mystery alone we can love without trouble it is with love without trouble alone that we can be happy but let us return to ourselves to that devotion of which you were speaking or rather let me labor under a pleasing delusion and believe that this devotion is love just now repeated the marquise passing over her eyes a hand that might have been a model for the graceful contours of antiquity just now i was prepared to speak my ideas were clear and bold now i am quite confused quite troubled i fear i bring you bad news if it is to the bad news i owe your presence marquise 
welcome be even that bad news or rather marquise since you allow that i am not quite indifferent to you let me hear nothing of the bad news but speak of yourself no no on the contrary demand it of me require me to tell it to you instantly and not to allow myself to be turned aside by any feeling whatever fouquet my friend it is of immense importance you astonish me marquise i will even say you almost frighten me you so serious so collected you who know the world we live in so well is it then important oh very important in the first place how did you come here you shall know that presently but first to something of more consequence speak marquise speak i implore you have pity on my impatience do you know that colbert is made intendant of the finances bah colbert little colbert yes colbert little colbert mazarin's factotum the same well what do you see so terrific in that dear marquise little colbert is intendant that is astonishing i confess but is not terrific do you think the king has given without a pressing motive such a place to one you call a little quister in the first place it is positively true that the king has given it to him it is so said ay but who says so everybody everybody that's nobody mention someone likely to be well informed who says so madame vanel <laughs> now you begin to frighten me in earnest said fouquet laughing if any one is well informed or ought to be well informed it is the person you name do not speak ill of poor marguerite monsieur fouquet for she still loves you bah indeed that is scarcely credible i thought little colbert as you said just now had passed over that love and left the impression upon it of a spot of ink or a stain of grease fouquet fouquet is this the way you always treat the poor creatures you desert why you surely are not going to undertake the defence of madame vanel yes i will undertake it for i repeat she loves you still and the proof is she saves you but your interposition marquise that is very cunning on her part no angel could be more agreeable to me or could lead me more certainly to salvation but let me ask you do you know marguerite she was my convent friend and you say that she has informed you that monsieur colbert was named intendant yes she did well enlighten me marquise granted monsieur colbert is intendant so be it in what can an intendant that is to say my subordinate my clerk 
give me umbrage or injure me even if he is monsieur colbert you do not reflect monsieur apparently replied the marquise upon what this that monsieur colbert hates you hates me cried fouquet good heavens marquise whence do you come where can you live hates me why all the world hates me he of course as others do he more than others more than others let him he is ambitious who is not marquise yes but with him ambition has no bounds i am quite aware of that since he made it to a point to succeed me with madame Fanel, and obtained his end look at that do you mean to say he has the presumption to hope to pass from intendant to superintendent have you not yourself already had the same fear oh ho, ho, said fouquet to succeed with madame Vanel is one thing to succeed me with the king is another france is not to be purchased so easily as the wife of a maitre de compte eh monsieur everything is to be bought if not by gold by intrigue nobody knows to the contrary better than you madame you to whom i have offered millions instead of millions fouquet you should have offered me a true only and boundless love i might have accepted that so you see still everything is to be bought if not in one way by another so colbert in your opinion is in a fair way of bargaining for my place of superintendent make yourself easy on that head my dear marquise he is not yet rich enough to purchase it but if he should rob you of it ah that is another thing unfortunately before he can reach me that is to say the body of the place he must destroy must make a breach in the advanced works and i am devilishly well fortified marquise what you call your advanced works are your creatures are they not your friends exactly so and is monsieur d'ameris one of your creatures yes he is is monsieur liodot one of your friends certainly monsieur de vanin monsieur de vanin ah they may do what they like with him but 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 they must not touch the others well if you are anxious they should not touch messieurs de marie and liadot it is time to look about you who threatens them will you listen to me now attentively marquise without interrupting me speak well this morning marguerite sent for me and what did she want with you i dare not see monsieur fouquet myself said she 
bah why should she think i would reproach her poor woman she vastly deceives herself see him yourself said she and tell him to beware of monsieur colbert what she warned me to beware of her lover i have told you she still loves you go on marquise monsieur colbert she added came to me two hours ago to inform me he was appointed intendant i have already told you marquise that monsieur colbert would only be the more in my power for that yes but that is not all marguerite is intimate as you know with madame de Merry and madame liadot i know it well monsieur colbert put many questions to her relative to the fortunes of those two gentlemen and as to the devotion they had for you oh as to those two i can answer for them they must be killed before they will cease to be mine then as madame vanel was obliged to quit monsieur colbert for an instant to receive a visitor and as monsieur colbert is industrious scarcely was the new intendant left alone before he took a pencil from his pocket and as there was paper on the table began to make notes notes concerning de Marie and liadot exactly i should like to know what those notes were about and that is just what i have brought to you madame vanel has taken colbert's notes and sent them to me no but by a chance which resembles a miracle she has a duplicate of those notes how could she get that listen i told you that colbert found paper on the table yes that he took a pencil from his pocket yes and wrote upon that paper yes well this pencil was a lead pencil consequently hard so it marked in black upon the first sheet and in white upon the second go on colbert when tearing off the first sheet took no notice of the second well well on the second was to be read what had been written on the first madame vanel read it and sent for me yes yes then when she was assured i was your devoted friend she gave me the paper and told me the secret of this house and the paper said fouquet in some degree of agitation here it is monsieur read it said the marquise fouquet read names of the farmers of revenue to be condemned by the chamber of justice de Marie, friend of m f liadot friend of m s de vanin in diff de Marie and liadot cried fouquet reading the paper eagerly again friends of m f pointed the marquise with her finger but what is the meaning of these words to be condemned by the chamber of justice dame said the marquise that is clear enough i think besides that is not all read on read on and fouquet continued the two first to death the third to be dismissed 
with messieurs d'artemont and de la valette who will only have their property confiscated great god cried fouquet to death to death liadot and demery but even if the chamber of justice should condemn them to death the king will never ratify their condemnation and they cannot be executed without the king's signature the king has made monsieur colbert intendant oh cried fouquet as if he caught a glimpse of the abyss that yawned beneath his feet impossible impossible but who passed a pencil over the marks made by colbert i did i was afraid the first would be effaced oh i will know all you will know nothing monsieur you despise your enemy too much for that pardon me my dear marquise excuse me yes monsieur colbert is my enemy i believe him to be so yes monsieur colbert is a man to be dreaded i admit but i i have time and as you are here as you have assured me of your devotion as you have allowed me to hope for your love as we are alone i came here to save you monsieur fouquet and not to ruin myself said the marquise rising therefore beware marquise in truth you terrify yourself too much at least unless this terror is but a pretext he is very deep very deep this monsieur colbert beware fouquet in his turn drew himself up and i asked he and you you have only a noble heart beware beware so i have done what was right my friend at the risk of my reputation adieu not adieu au revoir perhaps said the marquise giving her hand to fouquet to kiss and walking toward the door with so firm a step that he did not dare to bar her passage as to fouquet he retook with his head hanging down and a fixed cloud on his brow the path of the subterranean passage along which ran the metal wires that communicated from one house to the other transmitting through two glasses the wishes and signals of hidden correspondence end of chapter fifty four recording by john van stan savannah georgia Chapter fifty five of the D'Artagnan Romances, Volume three, Part one, by Alexandre Dumas, translated by William Robson. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. The Abbe Fouquet. Fouquet hastened back to his apartment by the subterranean passage, and immediately closed the mirror with a spring. He was scarcely in his closet when he heard someone knocking violently at the door, and a well known voice crying, open the door monseigneur i entreat you open the door fouquet quickly restored a little order to everything that might have revealed either his absence or his agitation he spread his papers over the desk took up a pen and to gain time said through the closed door who is there what monseigneur do you not know me replied the voice yes yes 
said Fouquet to himself. "'Yes, my friend, I know you well enough.' And then aloud, "'Is it not Gourville?' "'Why, yes, monseigneur!' Fouquet rose, cast a last look at one of his glasses, went to the door, pushed back the bolt, and Gourville entered. "'Ah, monseigneur, monseigneur!' cried he. "'What cruelty!' "'In what?' I have been a quarter of an hour imploring you to open the door, and you would not even answer me. Once for all, you know that I will not be disturbed when I am busy. Now, although I might make you an exception, Gourville, I insist upon my orders being respected by others. Monseigneur, at this moment, orders, doors, bolts, locks, and walls— i could have broken forced and overthrown ah ah it relates to some great event then asked fouquet oh i assure you it does monseigneur replied gourville and what is this event said fouquet a little troubled by the evident agitation of his most intimate confidant there is a secret chamber of justice instituted monseigneur i know there is but do the members meet gourville they not only meet but they have passed a sentence monseigneur a sentence said the superintendent with a shudder and pallor he could not conceal a sentence and on whom two of your best friends Leodo and desmarie you do you mean but what sort of a sentence sentence of death past oh you must be mistaken gourville that is impossible here is a copy of the sentence which the king is to sign to-day if he has not already signed it Fouquet seized the paper eagerly, read it, and returned it to Gourville. "'The king will never sign that,' said he. Gourville shook his head. "'Monseigneur, Monsieur Colbert is a bold counsellor. Do not be too confident.' "'Monsieur Colbert again,' cried Fouquet how is it that that name rises upon all occasions to torment my ears during the last two or three days thou make so trifling a subject of too much importance gourville let monsieur colbert appear i will face him let him raise his head i will crush him but you understand there must be an outline upon which my look may fall there must be a surface upon which my feet may be placed patience monseigneur for you do not know what colbert is study him quickly it is with this dark financier as it is with meteors which the eye never sees completely before their disastrous invasion and when we feel them we are dead oh gourville this is going too far replied fouquet smiling allow me my friend not to be so easily frightened 
Monsieur Colbert, a meteor. Corbleu, we confront the meteor. Let us see acts and not words. What has he done? He has ordered two gibbets of the executioner of Paris, answered Gourville. Fouquet raised his head and a flash gleamed from his eyes. Are you sure of what you say? cried he. Here is the proof, Monseigneur. And Gourville held out to the superintendent a note, communicated by a certain secretary of the Hotel de Ville, who was one of Fouquet's creatures. Yes, that is true, murmured the minister. The scaffold may be prepared, but the king has not signed. Gourville, the king will not sign. I shall know soon, said Gourville. How? If the king is signed, the gibbets will be sent this evening to the Hotel de Ville in order to be got up and ready by tomorrow morning. Oh, no, no, cried the superintendent once again. You are all deceived, and deceive me in my turn. Leodot came to see me only the day before yesterday. Only three days ago I received a present of some Syracuse wine from poor Demery. What does that prove? replied Gourville. Except that the Chamber of Justice has been secretly assembled, has deliberated in the absence of the accused, and that the whole proceeding was complete when they were arrested. What? Are they then arrested? No doubt they are. But where, when, and how have they been arrested? Leodo, yesterday at daybreak. Demery, the day before yesterday in the evening, as he was returning from the house of his mistress. Their disappearance has disturbed nobody. But at length Monsieur Colbert all at once raised the mask and caused the affair to be published. It is being cried by sound of trumpet at this moment in Paris, and in truth, Monseigneur, there is scarcely anybody but yourself ignorant of the event. Fouquet began to walk about his chamber with an uneasiness that became more and more serious. What do you decide upon, Monseigneur? said Gourville. If it really were as you say, I would go to the king, cried Fouquet. But, as I go to the Louvre, I will pass by the Hotel de Ville. We shall see if the sentence is signed. Incredulity! Thou art the pest of all great minds, said Gourville, shrugging his shoulders. Gourville! Yes, continued he. And incredulity! Thou ruinest, as contagion destroys the most robust health. That is to say, in an instant. Let us go, cried Fouquet. Desire the door to be opened, Gourville. Be cautious, said the latter. The abbe Fouquet is there. Ah, my brother, replied Fouquet in a tone of annoyance. He is there, is he? He knows all the ill news, then, and is rejoiced to bring it to me as usual. The devil! If my brother is there, my affairs are bad, Gourville. Why did you not tell me that sooner? I should have been the more readily convinced. 
monseigneur calumniates him said gourville laughing if he is come it is not with a bad intention what do you excuse him cried fouquet a fellow without a heart without ideas a devourer of wealth he knows you are rich and would ruin me no but he would like to have your purse that is all enough enough a hundred thousand crowns per month during two years corbleu it is i that pay gourville and i know my figures gourville laughed in a silent sly manner yes yes you mean to say it is the king pays said the superintendent ah gourville that is a vile joke this is not the place monseigneur do not be angry well then send away the abbe fouquet i have not a sou gourville made a step towards the door he has been a month without seeing me continued fouquet why could he not be two months because he repents of living in bad company said gourville and prefers you to all his bandits thanks for the preference you make a strange advocate gourville to-day the advocate of the abbe fouquet eh but everything in every man has a good side their useful side monseigneur the bandits whom the abbe keeps in pay and drink have their useful side have they prove it if you please let the circumstance arise monseigneur and you will be very glad to have these bandits under your hand you advise me then to be reconciled to the abbe said fouquet ironically i advise you monseigneur not to quarrel with a hundred or a hundred and twenty loose fellows who by putting their rapiers end to end would form a cordon of steel capable of surrounding three thousand men fouquet darted a searching glance at gourville and passing before him that is all very well let monsieur l'abbe fouquet be introduced said he to the footman you are right gourville two minutes after the abbe fouquet appeared in the doorway with profound reverences he was a man of from forty to forty-five years of age half churchman half soldier a sparasan grafted upon an abbe upon seeing that he had not a sword by his side you might be sure he had pistols fouquet saluted him more as an elder brother than a minister what can i do to serve you monsieur l'abbe said he oh how coldly you speak to me brother i speak like a man who is in a hurry monsieur the abbe looked maliciously at gourville and anxiously at fouquet and said i have three hundred pistoles to pay to monsieur de bregy this evening a play debt a sacred debt what next said fouquet bravely for he comprehended that the abbe fouquet would not have disturbed him for such a want a thousand to my butcher who will supply no more meat next twelve hundred to my tailor continued the abbe 
the fellow has made me take back seven suits of my people's which compromises my liveries and my mistress talks of replacing me by a farmer of the revenue which would be a humiliation for the church what else said fouquet you will please to remark said the abbe humbly that i have asked nothing for myself that is delicate monsieur replied fouquet so as you see i wait and i ask nothing oh no it is not for want of need though i assure you the minister reflected a minute twelve hundred pistoles to the tailor that seems a great deal for clothes said he i maintain a hundred men said the abbe proudly that is a charge i believe why a hundred men said fouquet are you a richelieu or a mazarin to require a hundred men as a guard what use do you make of these men speak and do you ask me that cried the abbe fouquet ah how can you put such a question why i maintain a hundred men ah why yes i do put that question to you what have you to do with a hundred men answer ingrate continued the abbe more and more affected explain yourself why monsieur the superintendent i only want one valet de chambre for my part and even if i were alone i could help myself very well but you you who have so many enemies a hundred men are not enough for me to defend you with a hundred men you ought to have ten thousand i maintain then that these men in order that in public places and assemblies no voice may be raised against you and without them monsieur you would be loaded with imprecations you would be torn to pieces you would not last a week no not a week do you understand ah i did not know you were my champion to such an extent monsieur l'abbé you doubt it cried the abbé listen then to what happened no longer than yesterday in the rue de la hochette a man was cheapening a fowl well how could that injure me abbé this way the fowl was not fat the purchaser refused to give eighteen sous for it saying that he could not afford eighteen sous for the skin of a fowl from which monsieur fouquet had sucked all the fat go on the joke caused a deal of laughter continued the abbe laughter at your expense death to the devils and the canaille were delighted the joker added give me a fowl fed by monsieur colbert if you like and i will pay all you ask and immediately there was a clapping of hands a frightful scandal you understand a scandal which forces a brother to hide his face fouquet colored and you veiled it said the superintendent no for it so happened i had one of my men in the crowd a new recruit from the provinces one monsieur meneville whom i like very much he made his way through the press saying to the joker mille bob monsieur the false joker here's a thrust for colbert and one for fouquet replied the joker upon which they drew in front of the cook's shop 
with a hedge of the curious round them, and five hundred as curious at the windows.' "'Well?' said Fouquet. "'Well, monsieur, my Meneville spitted the joker, to the great astonishment of the spectators, and said to the cook, "'Take this goose, my friend. It is fatter than your fowl. That is the way, monsieur,' ended the abbe triumphantly, "'in which I spend my revenues. I maintain the honor of the family, monsieur.' Fouquet hung his head. "'And I have a hundred as good as he,' continued the abbe very well said fouquet give the account to gourville and remain here this evening shall we have supper yes there will be supper but the chest is closed gourville will open it for you leave us monsieur l'abbe leave us then we are friends said the abbe with a bow oh yes friends come gourville are you going out you will not stay to supper then i shall be back in an hour rest easy abbe then aside to gourville let them put to my english horses said he and direct the coachman to stop at the hotel de ville de paris end of chapter fifty five recording by john van stan savannah georgia Chapter fifty six of the D'Artagnan Romances, Volume three, Part one by Alexander Dumas, translated by William Robson. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Monsieur de la Fontaine's Wine. Carriages were already bringing the guests of Fouquet to Saint Mande. Already the whole house was getting warm with the preparations for supper when the superintendent launched his fleet horses upon the road to Paris, and going by the quays in order to meet fewer people on the way soon reached the hotel de ville it wanted a quarter to eight fouquet alighted at the corner of the rue de longpont and on foot directed his course toward the place de greve accompanied by gourville at the turning of the place they saw a man dressed in black and violet of dignified mien who was preparing to get into a hired carriage and told the coachman to stop at vincennes he had before him a large hamper filled with bottles which he had just purchased at the cabaret with the sign of Limoges de notre dame eh but that is vatel my maitre d'hotel said fouquet de gourville yes monseigneur replied the latter what can he have been doing at the sign of Limoges de notre dame buying wine no doubt what my wine for me at a cabaret said fouquet my cellar then must be in a miserable condition and he advanced toward the maitre d'hotel who was arranging his bottles in the carriage with the most minute care hola vatel said he in the voice of a master take care monseigneur said gourville you will be recognized very well of what consequence vatel the man dressed in black and violet turned around he had a good and mild countenance without expression a mathematician minus the pride a certain fire sparkled in the eyes of this personage a rather sly smile played round his lips but the observer might soon have remarked that this fire and this smile applied to nothing enlightened nothing vatel laughed like an absent man and amused himself like a child at the sound of his master's voice he turned round exclaiming oh 
monseigneur yes it is i what the devil are you doing here vatel wine you are buying wine at a cabaret in the place de greve but monseigneur said vatel quietly after having darted a hostile glance at gourville why am i interfered with here is my cellar kept in bad order no certes vatel no but but what replied vatel gourville touched fouquet's elbow don't be angry vatel i thought my cellar your cellar sufficiently well stocked for us to be able to dispense with recourse to the cellar of Limage de notre dame eh monsieur said vatel shrinking from monseigneur to monsieur with a degree of disdain your cellar is so well stocked that when certain of your guests dine with you they have nothing to drink fouquet in great surprise looked at gourville what do you mean by that i mean that your butler had not wine for all tastes monsieur and that monsieur de la fontaine monsieur pelisson and monsieur conrad do not drink when they come to the house these gentlemen do not like strong wine what is to be done then well and therefore well then i have found here a vin de joigny which they like i know they come once a week to drink at the image de notre dame that is the reason i am making this provision fouquet had no more to say he was convinced vatel on his part had much more to say without doubt and it was plain he was getting warm it is just as if you would reproach me monseigneur for going to the rue planche milbray to fetch myself the cider monsieur loret drinks when he comes to dine at your house loret drinks cider at my house cried fouquet laughing certainly he does monsieur and that is the reason why he dines there with pleasure vatel cried fouquet pressing the hand of his maitre d'hotel you are a fine man i thank you vatel for having understood that at my house monsieur de la fontaine monsieur conrad and monsieur loret are as great as dukes and peers as great as princes greater than myself vatel you are a good servant and i double your salary vatel did not even thank his master he merely shrugged his shoulders a little murmuring his superb sentiment to be thanked for having done one's duty is humiliating he is right said gourville as he drew fouquet's attention by a gesture to another point he showed him a low-built tumbrel drawn by two horses upon which rocked two strong gibbets bound together back to back by chains whilst an archer seated upon the cross-beams suffered as well as he could with his head cast down the comments of a hundred vagabonds who guessed the destination of the gibbets and were escorting them to the hotel de ville fouquet started it is decided you see said gourville but it is not done replied fouquet oh do not flatter yourself monseigneur if they have thus lulled your friendship and suspicions if things have gone so far you will be able to undo nothing but i have not given my sanction monsieur de lyon has ratified for you i will go to the louvre oh no you will not 
would you advise such baseness cried fouquet would you advise me to abandon my friends would you advise me whilst able to fight to throw the arms i hold in my hand to the ground i do not advise you to do anything of the kind monseigneur are you in a position to quit the post of superintendent at this moment no well if the king wishes to displace you he will displace me absent as well as present yes but you will not have insulted him yes but i shall have been base now i am not willing that my friends should die and they shall not die for that it is necessary you should go to the louvre is it not gourville beware once at the louvre you will be forced to defend your friends openly that is to say to make a profession of faith or you will be forced to abandon them irrevocably never pardon me the king will propose the alternative to you rigorously or else you will propose it to him yourself that is true that is the reason why conflict must be avoided let us return to saint mond monseigneur gourville i will not stir from this place where the crime is to be carried out where my disgrace is to be accomplished i will not stir i say till i have found some means of combating my enemies monseigneur replied gourville you would excite my pity if i did not know you for one of the great spirits of this world you possess a hundred and fifty millions you are equal to the king in position and a hundred and fifty millions his superior in money monsieur colbert has not even had the wit to have the will of mazarin accepted now when a man is the richest person in a kingdom and will take the trouble to spend the money if things are done he does not like it is because he is a poor man let us return to saint mond i say to consult with pelisson we will so be it said fouquet with angry eyes yes to saint mond he got into his carriage again and gourville with him upon their road at the end of the faubourg saint antoine they overtook the humble equipage of vatel who was quietly conveying home his van de wagny the black horses going at a swift pace alarmed as they passed the timid hack of the maitre d'hotel who putting his head out of the window cried in affright take care of my bottles end of chapter fifty six recording by john van stan savannah georgia Chapter fifty seven of the D'Artagnan Romances, Volume three, Part one by Alexandre Dumas, translated by William Robson. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. The Gallery of Saint Mande. Fifty persons were waiting for the superintendent. He did not even take the time to place himself in the hands of his valet de chambre for a minute, but from the perron went straight into the premier salon. There his friends were assembled in full chat the intendant was about to order supper to be served but 
above all the abbe fouquet watched for the return of his brother and was endeavoring to do the honors of the house in his absence upon the arrival of the superintendent a murmur of joy and affection was heard fouquet full of affability good humor and munificence was beloved by his poets his artists and his men of business his brow upon which his little court read as upon that of a god all the movements of his soul and thence drew rules of conduct his brow upon which affairs of state never impressed a wrinkle was this evening paler than usual and more than one friendly eye remarked that pallor fouquet placed himself at the head of the table and presided gaily during supper he recounted vatel's expedition to la fontaine related the history of meneville and the skinny fowl to pelisson and in such a manner that all the table heard it a tempest of laughter and jokes ensued which was only checked by a serious and even sad gesture from pelisson the abbe fouquet not being able to comprehend why his brother should have led the conversation in that direction listened with all his ears and sought in the countenance of gourville or in that of his brother an explanation which nothing afforded him pelisson took up the matter did they mention monsieur colbert then said he why not replied fouquet if true as it is said to be the king has made him his intendant scarcely had fouquet uttered these words with a marked intention than an explosion broke forth among his guests the miser said one the mean pitiful fellow said another the hypocrite said a third pelisson exchanged a meaning look with fouquet messieurs said he in truth we are abusing a man whom no one knows it is neither charitable nor reasonable and here is monsieur le surintendant who i am sure agrees with me entirely replied fouquet let the fat bowels of monsieur colbert alone our business to-day is with the face on truths of monsieur vatel this speech stopped the dark cloud which was beginning to throw its shade over the guests gourville succeeded so well in animating the poets with de Vin de joigny the abbe intelligent as a man who stands in need of his host's money so enlivened the financiers and the men of the sword that amidst the vapors of this joy and the noise of conversation inquietudes disappeared completely the will of cardinal mazarin was the text of the conversation at the second course and dessert then fouquet ordered bowls of sweet meats and fountains of liquors to be carried into the salon adjoining the gallery he led the way thither conducting by the hand a lady the queen by his preference of the evening the musicians then supped and the promenades in the gallery and the gardens commenced beneath a spring sky mild and flower-scented pelisson then approached the superintendent and said something troubles monseigneur greatly replied the minister ask gourville to tell you what it is pelisson on turning round found la fontaine treading upon his heels he was obliged to listen to a latin verse which the poet had composed upon vatel la fontaine had for an hour been scanning this verse in all corners seeking some one to pour it out upon advantageously he thought he had caught pelisson but the latter escaped him he turned towards sorrel who had himself just composed a quatrain in honor of the supper and the amphitryon la fontaine in vain endeavored to gain attention to his verses sorrel wanted to obtain a hearing for his quatrain he was obliged to retreat before monsieur le comte de chanost whose arm fouquet had just taken 
L'Abbé Fouquet perceived that the poet, absent-minded as usual, was about to follow the two talkers, and he interposed. La Fontaine seized upon him and recited his verses. The abbé, who was quite innocent of Latin, nodded his head in cadence at every roll which La Fontaine impressed upon his body, according to the undulations of the dactyls and spondees. While this was going on, behind the confiture Bassin, Fouquet related the event of the day to his son-in-law, Monsieur de Chenost. "'We will send the idle and useless to look at the fireworks,' said Pelisson de Gourville, "'whilst we converse here.' "'So be it.' said Gourville, addressing four words to Vatel. The latter then led toward the gardens the major part of the bow, the ladies, and the chatterers, whilst the men walked in the gallery, lighted by three hundred wax-lights in the sight of all. The admirers of fireworks all ran away toward the garden. Gourville approached Fouquet and said, "'Monsieur, we are here.' "'All?' said Fouquet. "'Yes. Count!' The superintendent counted. There were eight persons. Pelisson and Gourville walked arm in arm, as if conversing upon vague and frivolous subjects. Sorrel and two officers imitated them in an opposite direction. The Abbé Fouquet walked alone. Fouquet, with Monsieur de Chenost, walked as if entirely absorbed in the conversation of his son-in-law. "'Messieurs,' said he, "'let no one of you raise his head as he walks, or appear to pay attention to me.' Continue walking. We are alone. Listen to me. A perfect silence ensued, disturbed only by the distant cries of the joyous guests, from the groves whence they beheld the fireworks. It was a whimsical spectacle, of these men walking in groups as if each one was occupied about something, whilst lending attention really to only one amongst them, who himself seemed to be speaking only to his companion. Messieurs, said Fouquet, you have without doubt remarked the absence of two of my friends this evening who were with us on wednesday for god's sake abbe do not stop it is not necessary to enable you to listen walk on carrying your head in a natural way and as you have an excellent sight place yourself at the window and if anyone returns toward the gallery give us notice by coughing the abbe obeyed i have not observed their absence said Pelisson, who at this moment was turning his back to Fouquet and walking the other way. "'I do not see Monsieur Liodot,' said Sorel, "'who pays me my pension.' "'And I,' said the abbé at the window, "'do not see Monsieur de Marie, who owes me eleven hundred livres from our last game at Brelan.' "'Sorel,' continued Fouquet, walking bent and gloomily, "'you will never receive your pension any more.' from Monsieur Liodot, and you, Abbé, will never be paid your eleven hundred livres by Monsieur de Marie, for both are doomed to die. To die! exclaimed the whole assembly arrested in spite of themselves in the comedy they were playing by that terrible word. Recover yourselves, messieurs, said Fouquet, for perhaps we are watched. I said to die to die repeated pelisson what the men i saw six days ago full of health gaiety and the spirit of the future what then is man good god that disease should thus bring him down all at once it is not a disease 
said Fouquet. "'Then there is a remedy,' said Sorel. "'No remedy. Messieurs de Liodot and de Merry are on the eve of their last day.' "'Of what are these gentlemen dying, then?' asked an officer. "'Ask of him who kills them,' replied Fouquet. "'Who kills them? Are they being killed, then?' cried the terrified chorus they do better still they are hanging them murmured fouquet in a sinister voice which sounded like a funeral knell in that rich gallery splendid with pictures flowers velvet and gold involuntarily everyone stopped the abbe quitted his window the first fusées of the fireworks began to mount above the trees a prolonged cry from the gardens attracted the superintendent to enjoy the spectacle he drew near to a window and his friends placed themselves behind him attentive to his least wish messieurs said he monsieur colbert has caused to be arrested tried and will execute my two friends what does it become me to do mardieu exclaimed the abbe the first one to speak run monsieur colbert through the body monseigneur said pelisson you must speak to his majesty the king my dear pelisson himself signed the order for the execution well said the comte de chanost the execution must not take place then that is all impossible said gourville unless we could corrupt the jailers or the governor said fouquet this night the prisoners might be allowed to escape which of you will take the charge of the transaction i said the abbe will carry the money and i said pelisson will be the bearer of the words words and money said fouquet five hundred thousand livres to the governor of the conciergerie that is sufficient nevertheless it shall be a million if necessary a million cried the abbe why for less than half i would have half paris sacked there must be no disorder said pelisson the governor being gained the two prisoners escape once clear of the fangs of the law they will call together the enemies of colbert and prove to the king that his young justice like all other monstrosities is not infallible go to paris then pelisson said fouquet and bring hither the two victims to-morrow we shall see gourville gave pelisson the five hundred thousand livres take care the wind does not carry you away said the abbe what a responsibility peste let me help you a little silence said fouquet somebody is coming ah the fireworks are producing a magical effect at this moment a shower of sparks fell rustling among the branches of the neighboring trees pelisson and gourville went out together by the door of the gallery fouquet descended to the garden with the five last plotters End of chapter 57. Recording by John Van Stan, Savannah, Georgia.
Chapter fifty eight of the D'Artagnan Romances, Volume three, Part one by Alexander Dumas, translated by William Robson. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Epicureans. As Fouquet was giving, or appearing to give, all his attention to the brilliant illuminations, the languishing music of the violins and hautboys, the sparkling sheaves of the artificial fires which, inflaming the heavens with glowing reflections, marked behind the trees the dark profile of the donjon of Vincennes, as, we say, the superintendent was smiling on the ladies and the poets, the fete was every whit as gay as usual, and Vatel, whose restless, even jealous look, earnestly consulted the aspect of Fouquet, did not appear dissatisfied with the welcome given to the ordering of the evening's entertainment. The fireworks over, the company dispersed about the gardens and beneath the marble porticoes with the delightful liberty which reveals in the master of the house so much forgetfulness of greatness, so much courteous hospitality, so much magnificent carelessness. The poets wandered about, arm in arm, through the groves, some reclined upon beds of moss, to the great damage of velvet clothes and curled heads, into which little dried leaves and blades of grass insinuated themselves. The ladies, in small numbers, listened to the songs of the singers, and the verses of the poets, others, listened to the prose spoken with much art, by men who were neither actors nor poets, but to whom youth and solitude gave an unaccustomed eloquence which appeared to them better than anything else in the world. Why? said La Fontaine. Does not our master Epicurus descend into the garden? Epicurus never abandoned his pupils. The master is wrong. Monsieur, said Conrart, you yourself are in the wrong persisting in decorating yourself with the name of an Epicurean. Indeed, nothing here reminds me of the doctrine of the philosopher of Gargetta. Bah, said La Fontaine. Is it not written that Epicurus purchased a large garden and lived in it tranquilly with his friends? that is true well has not monsieur fouquet purchased a large garden at saint mande and do we not live here very tranquilly with him and his friends yes without doubt unfortunately it is neither the garden nor the friends which constitute the resemblance now what likeness is there between the doctrine of epicurus and that of monsieur fouquet this pleasure gives happiness next well, I do not think we ought to consider ourselves unfortunate for my part, at least. A good repast, Van de Foigny, which they would have the delicacy to go and fetch for me from my favorite cabaret, not one impertinence heard during a supper an hour long, in spite of the presence of ten millionaires and twenty poets. I stop you there. You mentioned Van de Foigny, a good repast. Do you persist in that? I persist. Antico, as they say, at Port Royal. Then please to recollect that the great Epicurus lived and made his pupils live upon bread, vegetables, and water. That is not certain, said La Fontaine, and you appear to me to be confounding Epicurus with Pythagoras, my dear Conrart. Remember, likewise, that the ancient philosopher was rather a bad friend of the gods and the magistrates. Oh! That is what I will not admit, replied La Fontaine. Epicurus was like Monsieur Fouquet. Do not compare him to Monsieur le Surintendant, said Conrart in an agitated voice, or you would accredit the reports which are circulated concerning him and us. 
What reports? That we are bad Frenchmen, lukewarm with regard to the king, deaf to the law. I return then to my text, said La Fontaine. Listen, Conrad, this is the morality of Epicurus, whom, besides, I consider, if I must tell you so, as a myth. Antiquity is mostly mythical. Jupiter, if we give a little attention to it, is life. Alcides is strength. The words are there to bear me out. Zeus, that is Zen, to live. Alcides, that is Alce, vigor. Well, Epicurus, that is mild watchfulness. That is protection. Now, who watches better over the state, or who protects individuals better than Monsieur Fouquet does? You talk etymology and not morality. I say that we modern Epicureans are indifferent citizens. Oh, cried La Fontaine, if we become bad citizens, it is not through following the maxims of our master. Listen to one of his principal aphorisms. I will. Pray for good leaders. Well? Well, what does Monsieur Fouquet say to us every day? When shall we be governed? Does he say so? Come, Conrad, be frank. He says so. That is true. Well, that is a doctrine of Epicurus. Yes, but that is a little seditious. Observe. What? Seditious? To wish to be governed by good heads or leaders? Certainly, when those who govern are bad. Patience. I have a reply for all. Even for what I have just said to you? Listen, would you submit to those who govern ill? Oh, it is written, Cacaus Politioisi. You grant me the text? Pardieu, I think so. Do you know you speak Greek as well as Aesop did, my dear La Fontaine? Is there any wickedness in that, my dear Conrart? God forbid I should say so. Then let us return to Monsieur Fouquet. What did he repeat to us all the day? Was it not this? What a queester is that Mazarin! What an ass! What a leech! We must, however, submit to the fellow. Now, Conrart, did he say so or did he not? I confess that he said it, and even perhaps too often. Like Epicurus, my friend, still like Epicurus, I repeat, we are Epicureans, and that is very amusing. Yes, but I am afraid there will rise up by the side of us a sect like that of Epictetus. You know him well, the philosopher of Heropolis, he who called bread luxury, vegetables prodigality, and clear water drunkenness, he who, being beaten by his master, said to him, grumbling a little is true, but without being angry, I will lay a wager you have broken my leg, and who won his wager. He was a goose, that fellow Epictetus. Granted, but he might easily become the fashion by only changing his name into that of Colbert. Bah! replied La Fontaine. That is impossible. Never will you find Colbert in Epictetus. You are right. I shall find Calubert there at the most. Ha! You are beaten, Conrart. You are reduced to play upon words. Monsieur Arnaud pretends that I have no logic. I have more than Monsieur Nicole. Yes, replied Conrart. 
you have logic but you are a jansenist this peroration was hailed with a boisterous shout of laughter by degrees the promenaders had been attracted by the exclamations of the two disputants around the arbor under which they were arguing the discussion had been religiously listened to and fouquet himself scarcely able to suppress his laughter had given an example of moderation but with the denouement of the scene he threw off all restraint and laughed aloud everybody laughed as he did and the two philosophers were saluted with unanimous felicitations la fontaine however was declared conqueror on account of his profound erudition and his irrefragable logic conrart obtained the compensation due to an unsuccessful combatant he was praised for the loyalty of his intentions and the purity of his conscience at the moment when this jollity was manifesting itself by the most lively demonstrations when the ladies were reproaching the two adversaries with not having admitted women into the system of epicurean happiness gourville was seen hastening from the other end of the garden approaching fouquet and detaching him by his presence alone from the group the superintendent preserved on his face the smile and character of carelessness but scarcely was he out of sight when he threw off the mask well said he eagerly where is pelisson what is he doing pelisson has returned from paris has he brought back the prisoners he has not even seen the concierge of the prison what did he not tell him he came from me he told him so but the concierge sent him this reply if any one came to me from monsieur fouquet he would have a letter from monsieur fouquet oh cried the latter if a letter is all he wants it is useless monsieur said pelisson showing himself at the corner of the little wood useless go yourself and speak in your own name you are right i will go in as if to work let the horses remain harnessed pelisson entertain my friends gourville one last word of advice monseigneur replied the latter speak gourville do not go to the concierge save at the last minute it is brave but it is not wise excuse me monsieur pelisson if i am not of the same opinion as you but take my advice monseigneur send again a message to this concierge he is a worthy man but do not carry it yourself i will think of it said fouquet besides we have all the night before us do not reckon too much on time were the hours we have twice as many as they are they would not be too much replied pelisson it is never a fault to arrive too soon adieu said the superintendent come with me pelisson gourville i commend my guest to your care and he set off the epicureans did not perceive that the head of the school had left them the violins continued playing all night long. End of chapter 58. Recording by John Van Stan, Savannah, Georgia. Chapter 59 of the D'Artagnan Romances, Volume 3, Part 1 by Alexander Dumas, translated by William Robson. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. A quarter of an hour's delay. Fouquet, on leaving his house for the second time that day, 
felt himself less heavy and less disturbed than might have been expected. He turned toward Pelisson, who was meditating in the corner of the carriage some good arguments against the violent proceedings of Colbert. "'My dear Pelisson," said Fouquet, "'it is a great pity you are not a woman.' "'I think, on the contrary, it is very fortunate,' replied Pelisson, "'for, Monseigneur, I am excessively ugly.' "'Pelisson, Pelisson," said the superintendent, laughing, you repeat too often that you are ugly not to leave people to believe that it gives you much pain in fact it does monseigneur much pain there is no man more unfortunate than i i was handsome the smallpox rendered me hideous i am deprived of a great means of attraction now i am your principal clerk or something of that sort I take a great interest in your affairs, and if, at this moment, I were a pretty woman, I could render you an important service. What? I would go and find the concierge of the palais. I would seduce him, for he is a gallant man, extravagantly partial to women. Then I would get away our two prisoners. I hope to be able to do so myself, although I am not a pretty woman replied fouquet granted monseigneur but you are compromising yourself very much oh cried fouquet suddenly with one of those secret transports which the generous blood of youth or the remembrance of some sweet emotion infuses into the heart oh i know a woman who will enact the personage we stand in need of with the lieutenant governor of the conciergerie and on my part I know fifty, Monseigneur, fifty trumpets, which will inform the universe of your generosity, of your devotion to your friends, and consequently will ruin you sooner or later in ruining themselves. I do not speak of such women, Pelisson. I speak of a noble and beautiful creature who joins the intelligence and wit of her sex, the valor and coolness of ours. I speak of a woman handsome enough to make the walls of a prison bow down to salute her discreet enough to let no one suspect by whom she has been sent a treasure said pelisson you would make a famous present to monsieur the governor of the conciergerie peste monseigneur he might have his head cut off but he would before dying have had such happiness as no man had enjoyed before him and i said fouquet that the concierge of the palais would not have his head cut off for he would receive of me my horses to effect his escape and five hundred thousand livres wherewith to live comfortably in england i admit that this lady my friend would give him nothing but the horses and the money let us go and seek her pelisson the superintendent reached forth his hand toward the gold and silken cord placed in the interior of his carriage but pelisson stopped him monseigneur said he you are going to lose as much time in seeking this lady as columbus took to discover the new world now we have but two hours in which we can possibly succeed the concierge once gone to bed how shall we get at him without making a disturbance when daylight dawns how can we conceal our proceedings go go yourself monseigneur and do not seek either woman or angel to-night but my dear pelisson here we are before her door what 
before the angel's door why yes this is the hotel of madame de belliere hush ah good lord exclaimed pelisson what have you to say against her nothing alas and it is that which causes my despair nothing absolutely nothing why can i not on the contrary say ill enough of her to prevent your going to her but fouquet had already given orders to stop and the carriage was motionless prevent me cried fouquet why no power on earth should prevent my going to pay my compliments to madame de plessis belliere besides who knows that we shall not stand in need of her no monseigneur no but i do not wish you to wait for me pelisson replied fouquet sincerely courteous the more reason i should monseigneur knowing that you are keeping me waiting you will perhaps stay a shorter time take care you see there is a carriage in the courtyard she has someone with her bouquet leant toward the steps of the carriage one more word cried pelisson do not go to this lady till you have been to the concierge for heaven's sake eh five minutes pelisson replied fouquet alighting at the steps of the hotel leaving pelisson in the carriage in a very ill humor fouquet ran upstairs told his name to the footman which excited an eagerness and a respect that showed the habit the mistress of the house had of honoring that name in her family monsieur le surintendant cried the marquise advancing very pale to meet him what an honor what an unexpected pleasure said she then in a low voice take care added the marquise marguerite vanel is here madame replied fouquet rather agitated i came on business one single word if quickly if you please and he entered the salon madame vanel had risen paler more livid than envy herself fouquet in vain addressed her with the most agreeable most pacific salutation she only replied by a terrible glance darted at the marquise and fouquet this keen glance of a jealous woman is a stiletto which pierces every cuirass marguerite venel plunged it straight into the hearts of the two confidants she made a courtesy to her friend a more profound one to fouquet and took leave under pretence of having a number of visits to make without the marquise trying to prevent her or fouquet a prey to anxiety thinking further about her she was scarcely out of the room and fouquet left alone with the marquise before he threw himself on his knees without saying a word i expected you said the marquise with a tender sigh oh no cried he or you would have sent away that woman she has been here little more than half an hour and i had no expectation she would come this evening you love me just a little then marquise that is not the question now it is of your danger how are your affairs going on i am going this evening to get my friends out of the prisons of the palais how will you do that by buying and bribing the governor he is a friend of mine can i assist you without injuring you oh marquise it would be a signal service but 
how can you be employed without your being compromised now never shall my life my power or even my liberty be purchased at the expense of a single tear from your eyes or of one frown of pain upon your brow monseigneur no more such words they bewilder me i have been culpable in trying to serve you without calculating the extent of what i was doing i love you in reality as a tender friend and as a friend i am grateful for your delicate attentions but alas alas you will never find a mistress in me marquise cried fouquet in a tone of despair why not because you are too much beloved said the young woman in a low voice because you are too much beloved by too many people because the splendor of glory and fortune would wound my eyes whilst the darkness of sorrow attracts them because in short i who have repulsed you in your proud magnificence i who scarcely looked at you in your splendor i came like a mad woman to throw myself as it were into your arms when i saw a misfortune hovering over your head you understand me now monseigneur become happy again that i may remain chaste in heart and in thought your misfortune entails my ruin oh madame said fouquet with an emotion he had never before felt were i to fall to the lowest degree of human misery and hear from your mouth that word which you now refuse me that day madame you will be mistaken in your noble egotism that day you will fancy you are consoling the most unfortunate of men and you will have said i love you to the most illustrious the most delighted and the most triumphant of the happy beings of this world he was still at her feet kissing her hand when pelisson entered precipitately crying and in very ill humor monseigneur madame for heaven's sake excuse me monseigneur you have been here half an hour oh do not both look at me so reproachfully madame pray who is that lady who left your house soon after monseigneur came in madame vanel said fouquet ha cried pelisson i was sure of that well what then why she got into her carriage looking deadly pale what consequence is that to me yes but what she said to her coachman is of consequence to you kind heaven cried the marquise what was that to monsieur colbert's said pelisson in a hoarse voice bon dieu begone begone monseigneur replied the marquise pushing fouquet out of the salon whilst pelisson dragged him by the hand am i then indeed said the superintendent become a child to be frightened by a shadow you are a giant said the marquise whom a viper is trying to bite in the heel pelisson continued to drag fouquet to the carriage to the palais at full speed cried pelisson to the coachman the horses set off like lightning no obstacle relaxed their pace for an instant only at the arcade st jean as they were coming out upon the place de greve 
a long file of horsemen barring the narrow passage stopped the carriage of the superintendent there was no means of forcing this barrier it was necessary to wait till the mounted archers of the watch for it was they who stopped the way had passed with the heavy carriage they were escorting and which ascended rapidly toward the place Boroyer. Fouquet and Pelisson took no further account of this circumstance beyond deploring the minute's delay they had thus to submit to. They entered the habitation of the concierge du palais five minutes after. That officer was still walking about in the front court. At the name of Fouquet, whispered in his ear by Pelisson, the governor eagerly approached the carriage and hat in hand was profuse in his attentions. "'What an honor for me, monseigneur,' said he. "'One word, monsieur le gouverneur, will you take the trouble to get into my carriage?' The officer placed himself opposite Fouquet in the coach. "'Monsieur,' said Fouquet, "'I have a service to ask of you.' "'Speak, monseigneur.' "'A service that will be compromising for you, monsieur, but which will assure you forever my protection.' and my friendship were it to cast myself into the fire for you monseigneur i would do it that is well said fouquet what i require is much more simple that being so monseigneur what is it to conduct me to the chamber of messieurs liadot and demery will monseigneur have the kindness to say for what purpose i will tell you in their presence monsieur at the same time that i will give you ample means of palliating this escape escape why then monseigneur does not know what that messieurs liadot and demery are no longer here since when cried fouquet in great agitation about a quarter of an hour whither have they gone then to vincennes to the donjon who took them from here an order from the king oh woe woe exclaimed fouquet striking his forehead woe and without saying a single word more to the governor he threw himself back in his carriage, despair in his heart and death on his countenance. "'Well,' said Pelisson, with great anxiety, "'our friends are lost. Colbert is conveying them to the donjon. They cross our very path, under the arcade Saint-Jean.' Pelisson, struck as by a thunderbolt, made no reply. With a single reproach he would have killed his master.' where is monseigneur going said the footman home to paris you pelisson return to saint mont and bring the abbe fouquet to me within an hour be gone end of chapter fifty nine recording by john van stan savannah georgia Chapter 60 of the D'Artagnan Romances, Volume 3, Part 1, by Alexandre Dumas, translated by William Robson. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Plan of Battle The night was already far advanced when the Abbe Fouquet joined his brother. Gourville had accompanied him. These three men, pale with dread of future events, 
resembled less three powers of the day than three conspirators, united by one single thought of violence. Fouquet walked for a long time, with his eyes fixed upon the floor, striking his hands one against the other. At length, taking courage in the midst of a deep sigh, Abbey, said he, you were speaking to me only today of certain people you maintain. Yes, monsieur, replied the abbe. Tell me precisely who are these people? The abbe hesitated. Come, no fear, I am not threatening, no romancing, for I am not joking. Since you demand the truth, monseigneur, here it is. I have a hundred and twenty friends or companions of pleasure who are sworn to me as the thief is to the gallows. And you think you can depend upon them? Entirely. And you will not compromise yourself? I will not even make my appearance. And are they men of resolution? They would burn Paris if I promised them they should not be burnt in turn. The thing I ask of you, Abbe, said Fouquet, wiping the sweat which fell from his brow, is to throw your hundred and twenty men upon the people I will point out to you at a certain moment, given, is it possible? It will not be the first time such a thing has happened to them, Monseigneur. That is well, but would these bandits attack an armed force? They are used to that. Then get your hundred and twenty men together, Abbe. Directly. But where? On the road to Vincennes, tomorrow, at two o'clock precisely. To carry off Liodeau and Demery? There will be blows to be got. A number, no doubt. Are you afraid? Not for myself, but for you. Your men will know, then, what they have to do. They are too intelligent not to guess it. Now, a minister who gets up a riot against his king exposes himself. Of what importance is that to you, I pray? Besides, if I fall, you fall with me. It would then be more prudent, monsieur, not to stir in the affair and leave the king to take this little satisfaction. Think well of this, Abbe. Liodeau and Demery at Vincennes are a prelude of ruin for my house. I repeat it. I arrested. You will be imprisoned. I imprisoned. You will be exiled. Monsieur, I am at your orders. Have you any to give me? What I told you. I wish that tomorrow the two financiers of whom they mean to make victims— whilst there remain so many criminals unpunished, shouldn't be snatched from the fury of my enemies. Take your measures accordingly. Is it possible? It is possible. Describe your plan. 
it is of rich simplicity the ordinary guard at executions consists of twelve archers there will be a hundred to-morrow i reckon so i even say more there will be two hundred then your hundred and twenty men will not be enough pardon me in every crowd composed of a hundred thousand spectators there are ten thousand bandits or cut purses only they dare not take the initiative well there will then be to-morrow on the place de greve which i choose as my battlefield ten thousand auxiliaries to my hundred and twenty men the attack commenced by the latter the others will finish it that all appears feasible but what will be done with regard to the prisoners upon the place de greve this they must be thrust into some house that will make a siege necessary to get them out again and stop here is another idea more sublime still certain houses have two issues one upon the place and the other into the rue de la mortellerie or la venerie or la texaranderie the prisoners entering by one door will go out at another yes but fix upon something positive i am seeking to do so and i cried fouquet i have found it listen to what has occurred to me at this moment i am listening fouquet made a sign to gourville who appeared to understand one of my friends lends me sometimes the keys of a house which he rents rue baudoyer the spacious gardens of which extend behind a certain house on the place de greve that is the place for us said the abbe what house a cabaret pretty well frequented whose sign represents the image of notre dame i know it said the abbe this cabaret has windows opening upon the place a place of exit into the court which must abut upon the gardens of my friend by a door of communication good said the abbe enter by the cabaret take the prisoners in defend the door while you are enable them to fly by the garden and the place baudoyer that is all plain monsieur you would make an excellent general like monsieur le prince have you understood me perfectly well how much will it amount to to make your bandits all drunk with wine and to satisfy them with gold oh monsieur what an expression oh monsieur if they heard you some of them are very susceptible i mean to say they must be brought no longer to know the heavens from the earth for i shall to-morrow contend with the king and when i fight i mean to conquer please to understand it shall be done monsieur give me your other ideas that is your business then give me your purse gourville count a hundred thousand livres for the abbe good and spare nothing did you not say 
nothing. That is well. Monseigneur, objected Gourville, if this should be known, we should lose our heads. Eh, Gourville, replied Fouquet, purple with anger, you excite my pity. Speak for yourself, if you please. My head does not shake in that manner upon my shoulders. Now, Abbe, is everything arranged? Everything. At two o'clock tomorrow? At twelve. Because it will be necessary to prepare our auxiliaries in a secret manner. That is true. Do not spare the wine of the cabaretier. I will spare neither his wine nor his house, replied the abbe with a sneering laugh. I have my plan, I tell you. Leave me to set it in operation, and you shall see. Where shall you be yourself? Everywhere. Nowhere. And how shall I receive information? By a courier whose horse shall be kept in the very garden of your friend. Apropos, the name of your friend. Fouquet looked again at Gourville. The latter came to the succor of his master, saying, Accompanying Monsieur l'abbé for several reasons, only the house is easily to be known. The image de Notre Dame in the front, a garden, the only one in the quarter behind. Good, good. I will go and give notice to my soldiers. Accompany him, Gourville, said Fouquet, and count him down the money. One moment, Abbe, one moment, Gourville. What name will be given to this carrying off? A very natural one, monsieur. The riot. The riot on account of what? For if ever the people of Paris are disposed to pay their court to the king, it is when he hangs financiers. I will manage that, said the abbe. Yes, but you may manage it badly, and people will guess. Not at all, not at all. I have another idea. What is that? My men shall cry out, Colbert! vive colbert and shall throw themselves upon the prisoners as if they would tear them in pieces and shall force them from the gibbets as too mild a punishment ah that is an idea said gourville peste monsieur l'abbe what an imagination you have monsieur we are worthy of our family replied the abbe proudly strange fellow murmured fouquet then he added that is ingenious carry it out but shed no blood gourville and the abbe set off together with their heads full of the meditated riot the superintendent laid himself down upon some cushions half valiant with respect to the sinister projects of the morrow half dreaming of love End of chapter sixty Recording by John Van Stan, Savannah, Georgia.